Welcome to Authorized, a podcast where we wistfully read the novelization of any film fortunate enough to have one. Novelizations are above all earnest. They adoringly lap up the pulpy adventures of an aging hero and regurgitate them as if he were a dashing spring chicken off on his first conquest. These books, however, are not a rejection of reality. While imbuing their protagonist with youthful verve, they also confront the inherent sadness of time's passing. The ways in which we can hurt people and yet still be grateful to see them when the consequences of our emotional violence return to us. These books illustrate that the inherent short-sightedness of youth is unsustainable, as life is so, so long. Through rash decisions in the present, we serve only to build a future in which we are consumed by the past. Also, novelizations have a boys-will-be-boys boys tone to them that's kind of a bummer. We are a loose coalition of novelization enthusiasts. My name is Andrew Overby. I'm Hannah Blackman. And I'm Johnny Pumato. Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is a 2008 action-adventure film directed by our best friend Stevie Spielberg. It is the fourth cinematic adventure of Henry Indiana Jones Jr., the college professor and archaeologist who all too often finds himself entangled in life-threatening odysseys. What a scam. This time, Jones is abducted by Russian agents who hope to make nefarious use of a potent extraterrestrial weapon capable of controlling its victims' minds. Jones escapes the Russian attempt to co-opt his expertise, but is soon pulled back into the plot when a pugnacious young man tells him that his former fiance, Marion Ravenwood, is in captivity. That's not quite accurate, Andrew. Okay, well, fight me on it. <laughs> I will. I'll fight you on it later. Despite a contentious rapport with this young man, and despite having traumatized Marion, our hero cannot simply ignore the call to entangle himself in this conflict. Jones must attempt to work together with this hot-headed youth, whose name is Mutt. You can say his name. I, in order I, to I, save I, the one that got away. <laughs> I love Mutt, but... The name is a little too much for me. No, I love it, and I, I'm ready to tell you why. Uh, discussing this movie is like a little bit like going to a restaurant and having to order like a very ridiculous. I ordered order. the Batman Calzone today, face to face with a human woman, so you don't get to say shit. Fair. I can say mutt if you can say Cal like Batman Calzone. I literally had to say, I'll have the Batman Calzone, please. <laughs> like, it was very embarrassing. I've just seen the Batman, and I understand the full context of this. Uh, I would like the Calzone. Thank you. Yeah. Whew. The point is, the novelization of Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull was written by James Rollins, based on the story by George Lucas and Jeff Nathanson, and the screenplay by David Kemp. It was published by Del Rey and Ballantine Books in 2008. Who is James Rollins? James Paul Szyzowski was born on August 20th, 1961 in Chicago, Illinois. His father worked at the cannery for Libby's Food Products, while his mother raised their seven children. He has likened his upbringing to a Brady Bunch-esque environment. Though James was an avid fan of Jules Verne and various pulps from a young age, he initially embarked upon a career in medicine. Majoring in veterinary science at the University of Missouri, Szyzowski spent 20 years as a practicing veterinarian before writing became his primary job. Speaking of this time, he says, For 20 years, my paycheck was coming from my veterinary degree, and my writing was a hobby, and I thought it would be really cool to flip that around. Veterinary medicine is much harder. It's a 14, 16, or 18-hour day. I owned my own practice, had 24 employees. I just couldn't get away. That was the biggest thing. I started writing during my lunch hour at the clinic. 
dogs barking, cats meowing. So now I can write anywhere. James first used a pen name for his debut novel, Witchfire, for which he moonlighted as James Clemens. It wasn't until his 2000 novel, Excavation, that the James Rowlands name was debuted, and due to the novel's reception, the pen name stuck. These days, veterinary work remains a part of Rowland's life, though it is now a hobby to complement his writing career, instead of the other way around. Rowland says, Once a week, I spend about eight hours spaying and neutering trapped feral cats for the Sacramental Council of Cats. All I do now with my veterinary degree is remove genitalia. Our guest today... <laughs> wait, 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 wait. <laughs> now you're Nothing else about his writing career? <laughs> like, like, which reminds me, this is our guest today. Speaking yes. of people in the wrong profession. Um, <laughs> our guest today, a Chicago-based filmmaker and host of the podcast, The Cinematic Explorers Club, Patrick Bellix. Patrick, to start us off, first off, so great to have you here. How are you? I'm, I'm doing good. I'm, I'm, I'm even better now that I get to see your smiling face. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, so you came to me with a, a couple different books, being like, I'd be interested in this, this, or this. Mm-hmm. One of them was Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Just to get us started here, what was your relationship to this series and this movie in particular before you read the novelization of it? Uh, yeah, I uh, actually started out when, when I was a kid. I was a big, you know, Spielberg, George Lucas uh, connoisseur, aficionado, if you will. I, I I was taking in all the the Star Wars, the Indiana Jones, anything um, uh, that you would associate with a, a '90s kid childhood. Um, and uh, and and so I I loved um, uh, Indiana Jones as a kid. Um, saw the movie. Um, at the time when it came out, I remember being um, uh, somewhat um, uh, the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull coming out and being somewhat disappointed with it. Um, you know, uh, I, I couldn't get past uh, a lot of the, uh, the, the the alien sci-fi elements. Um, but more recently, something happened, um, Andrew, and that you is loosened that- up. I loosened <laughs> up because you know I, I'm, I'm older, I'm much wiser. <laughs> um, <laughs> And um, yeah, people typically loosen up with age. I definitely noticed that happening in America. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I, I, I got married and that, you know, mm-hmm. that, 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 that's that's a thing that changes your, your chemistry. Um, so the uh, <laughs> um, I, uh, I actually um, uh, before I got married, I was with uh, my, my then girlfriend, now wife. And, uh, you know, after about like three years of being in a relationship, you start to get to that point where you kind of know everything there is to know about the other person, you know, um, you, you get to the point where what you're enjoying is like a, the, the new stuff that you guys are exploring together. And then every, every once in a while, something pops up that you're like, Oh my God, like you don't know about this. I get to share something with you that, that I love that no, nothing uh, that you have not um, uh, experienced before. So we found out that my wife who loves action films used to watch you know all the james bond films with her dad when they were growing up um uh and um she had never actually sat down and watched the entire indiana jones catalog she had clearly seen scenes and you know bits of it uh so you did the young indiana jones adventures as well 
Um, we did a little bit of it because uh, <laughs> uh, so I, I, I actually uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm a fan as well. But the um, uh, but uh, particularly the, the, the films like we finally sat down and I was like, oh, my God, we need to go through this together and I get to see it through your eyes and all that stuff. Um, so we watched all all the films uh, together and I got to revisit them with new eyes and didn't realize that, um, you know, I forgot how. Um, uh i got i forgot the uh, about um what's the, the 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 young child in temple of doom um short round, short round. Short round. i forgot about short, short round. round how much i love short round <laughs> um he's the best forgot how annoying kate capshaw is sorry but i'm not sorry <laughs> um that's 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 a thing in temple of doom but then we got to king of the crystal skull and I, the entire time we were watching the films i kept on uh, preparing her for like the fourth one, you know, I really wanted it to be good, but it just, it didn't work out. The fourth one, I'm sorry. In advance, I'm, you know, it's, it's weird. You know, there's, there's some odd choices. Um, and then we got to it and I was like, watching these in succession, in terms of the filmmaking choices, in terms of like the overall structure of the film, the fact that you bring back Karen Allen that I had a big crush on when I was a kid. Um, the... Uh, it, it makes total, uh, actually, literally, uh, in terms of linear filmmaking um, uh, um, uh, perspective, it all makes sense. Um, still have tr a little bit of trouble with aliens. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, like, but like again, not nearly as bad as I remember it being. The Russian element, I'm not just saying this because of recent events, um, but the, like, fact of Russians kind of taking over for the main villains as opposed to Nazis it makes total sense in terms of the uh, um, the, uh, the 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 change in uh, over the years. So um, uh, so overall, like my my um, I've I've become like a little bit like a, I would call it a light defender of Kingdom of the Crystal Skull on the level of like uh, I I wouldn't say that it it's it's great or even or even in my top two, but like not nearly as bad as I remember it being. I had not seen this film before watching it for the podcast, but just to go around quickly, what was the opinion that everyone held beforehand? Hannah, were you positive or negative on this? Johnny, were you positive or negative on this? I've never been like the number one greatest Indiana Jones fan. Like I like them, but I'm not mm -hmm. like hands down. That's my franchise or whatever. So like I went to go see Crystal Skull in the theaters and I was like, not into the alien thing. <laughs> that feels like a, like a, a left field move for a very religious franchise. And when watching this time, I was like, nope, it's fine because they're gods. They're aliens, but they're also yes, gods. I'll yes. take it. It's fine. Um, so like, yeah, I walked out of that movie theater also kind of like eh, disappointed, but not like upset as I think some people were. Right. Um, and then I didn't think about it at all for whatever, the 13 years and then watched it again. It was like, this is pretty good. I like it. The stuff that people don't like, whatever, Mutt. I like Mutt. I love Mutt. I'm very yeah, pro-Mutt. I'm sorry. Like people Mutt didn't like well. Short Round either, but I love Short Round. And I love Mutt. I love it. I mean, is there an argument to be made that perhaps Mutt should simply be Short Round? Perhaps. Just like a little older, you know, maybe, maybe. That being said, <laughs> I wouldn't trade Mutt for the world now that we have him. But this is like right. the mid-2000s when, like, you were shoehorning Jeremy Renner into the Bourne franchise trying to start the next, yeah. you know, generation. I mean, a lot of the complaints was that everyone's like, we don't want to watch Indiana Jones 5 starring Mutt. Yeah. Like, and I get that. I get it. He works well with Indiana. You don't want him on his own necessarily. Patrick, here's the thing <laughs> you should probably be aware of is that you are talking to someone, me, 
who does think the Jeremy Renner Bourne movie is the best Bourne movie. <laughs> so, I'll be, I'll be, I'll, but uh, in fairness to you, Andrew, I have not seen that Bourne movie. But here's the thing. Maybe the, I should have said, like, you were shoehorning Jeremy Renner into the Ghost Protocol. For, uh, we love the, Jeremy Renner. If only Jeremy smallest, Renner was in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. The smallest yeah. sidebar about the Bourne legacy? Legacy. Yeah. It's just so. that in all the Matt Damon ones, he's like, I'm running away from people, and I don't know why. And it's like, okay, well, that's not much of a character. And in the Jeremy Renner one, he's like, I'm a real guy with a life and passions, and I have <laughs> to die because Matt Damon did dumb shit? I'm mad about that. And it, I find it way more compelling. Johnny, come on. <laughs> what was your take on Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull pre the Authorized Novelizations podcast? <laughs> Well, not to be contrarian to Hannah's position, but Indiana Jones was my franchise. That's not contrarian. We're it. different. I love that about uh, you. Yeah, it would have been contrarian exactly. to say, Hannah, you did love it. <laughs> it <true>. was your <laughs> franchise. <laughs> uh, you know, some people grew up with Star Wars and, you know, Star Wars is all fine and good and whatever. But to me, Indiana Jones, like these movies mean so much to me. And, the, the, you know, ever since I was a little kid. And I think that Raiders of the Lost Ark is a, a flawless film, it, not just uh, for the genre, for the series. It's just a flawless film. It's one of the best films of the 80s. And uh, I don't know, on, depending on the day, I might call it Spielberg's best film. I don't know. Uh, and uh, then you have all of the sequels. And I think that they all are great and they all have wonky stuff in them. Uh, I, I don't think that uh, any of them are, are, are perfect, but I enjoy and love them all. Uh, I don't think that there's anything in Crystal Skull that is significantly sillier than the like weirdest, dumbest parts of Temple of Doom or Last Crusade. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I am a defender of Mutt. I am a huge defender of the monkey vine swinging. I am a big defender of the aliens. Uh, I have some issues with the film. Uh, I, I actually think that the first hour of Crystal Skull is, uh, is great. It's a fantastic Indiana Jones sequel. I think once they get into the jungle, it gets a little dicey. Yes. I don't know. It's, it's, it's a little weird for maybe 40 minutes. And then I think it finishes strong again. Yeah. Uh, so watching it again the other night and reading the novelization, uh, it was a great refresher because it had been a very long time since I had uh, uh, really experienced it. Uh, I had you know, just been having people poison my ear by telling me it's bad, but I knew they were wrong. And yeah, I, I like this movie even with its flaws and it, it has some flaws, which I'm sure we'll get it to. I truly thought it was another Phantom Menace for like 15 years. And and I'm not- Well, Phantom Menace is also pretty good. I, yeah, that, one, that one hasn't <laughs> redeemed for me. And I've watched that recently. I, I, can't, I can't come around to pod racing that's completely irrelevant to the rest of the plot. It just doesn't work for me. Anyway- he has to win. Anakin. Anakin has to win his own freedom by winning the Padres. It's There's part another of the plot. I, I don't know episode of Authorized that will have like slavery or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, that's exactly it. I want that on the record. Um, <laughs> let's. So that, that's a good place to start. Let's talk about the beginning of this movie because I agree. I think the beginning of the film, especially the Area 51 stuff, is like not only is this not bad, this is a pretty great. Let's take Indiana Jones from the 1930s and put him into the 1950s and take him from the genres of the 1930s into like the sci-fi pulps of the 1950s. The whole time we're in Area 51, I'm having a great time. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree. I think that, uh, uh, and we'll get into it in comparison to the novelization, but I like how abrupt the film starts, that we really are just smack right in, hound dog, where's Indiana Jones? Who are these teenagers in this drag race? And then, you know, he gets his big introduction. He's thrown out the trunk. I think that's great. I, I love being thrown right in. Uh, and, and I actually wondered when I realized, oh, the, the novelization begins differently. There's a whole sort of prologue. Is this actually going to help or hurt it? Uh, I, I'm still a little mixed on that, but like, I think that uh, the updating to the sci-fi B serial, uh, you know, a matinee thing of, of the 50s is, uh, I, I think, pretty seamless all around. I really like jumping into the novelization, that prologue scene where Indiana Jones is in the jungle doing Indiana Jones stuff. Yeah. And the Russians literally grab him and put him into a sci-fi story. Like what Andrew was saying is like <laughs> so explicit in the novelization. He's doing 30s adventure jungle stuff. And they're like, no, no, you're coming to Area 51. You are being kidnapped. And it gives him like, um, like in the movie, the first time we see him, he is like stumbling his way out of a trunk and he's like very old and weak, sort of. It's not like, here's our hero, Indiana Jones, until he puts the hat on. And the book gives him a much more like heroic introduction. Mm -hmm. And then he eventually is in a trunk. It's I very different. Him, it's kind of cool. Yeah. I think him coming out of the trunk in the movie is not a great intro because we haven't seen this guy in 20 years and just showing him, like <laughs> someone having bested him is, is very strange. I also think it's the fourth installment in the series. So we're never going to entertain the idea that Indiana Jones himself is a turncoat, but I think that having him start off in the trunk just in movie language, if this was some isolated movie only serves to have us wonder what his allegiance is. Like, you could see in a different film them sitting him down after the the nuclear bomb thing and being like, did you help the Russians willingly? And us being like, I don't know this guy, did he? But like- He's in the trunk, Andrew. No, no, He's not I like get part it. of a gang. I was about, I was about to say, the, the, the trunk thing actually makes it actually very clear for me that like, oh, he's not <laughs> supposed to be here. Yeah. I think you guys are actually skipping over the actual beginning to this film, which is where a Spanish conquistador gets attacked by Jason and the Argonauts. You mean the because book? Yeah, that's yeah, I'm sorry, true. In, in, terms, in terms of the book. <laughs> yeah. in, in terms of the book, yes, he gets-, he gets um, he he does get uh, uh start off in the past in the past past yeah, it's yeah. 1546 to talk about it chronologically that guy whose name is escaping me the, o Orea, the guy from the past I think? O um Francisco Oriana Francisco de Oriana that guy the the arc of the skull is that he finds the skull he takes it away he feels that what he's done is extremely wrong he tries to bring it back, dies on the way. Oxley finds the skull at his place of death, takes it away, also feels that he was wrong to do so, goes back to where he found it, which is not where it's from. Then Indiana Jones goes back to Oriana's place of death, picks it up from the same place Oxley did, and eventually brings it back to where it's supposed to be. Do I have that right? I think Oxley makes it all the way to the City of Gold the first time, but can't figure out the puzzle that opens the city. So returns to the gravesite and puts it back there. That's the best he can do. It's not good enough. He goes insane. 
than there Indiana is Picks some it up. They, they have to they they had to lay a lot of pipe <laughs> to get this to work. <laughs> you know, I think they did it right. I think they, I think that they found uh, found it all um, a way to make it all work. But like, there's a lot of work that, that they went into, <laughs> like making sure that this through line actually makes uh, um, uh, makes sense. But it basically all comes down to Skull got took has to go back to place it came. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it should never have been separated from the body. It's a round trip. The aliens are all stuck there because they won't leave their guy behind mm-hmm. without his head. Which is this, because I, I don't read a lot of novelizations um, uh, of, of, of films. Oh, interesting. So I thought you were a learned person. I just lied my way onto this podcast. Um, the... Uh, um, the uh, is this kind of the mo? Is that like they're kind of they're, they're in order to justify the value of the novelization? They're like we're going to add extra scenes in or create new threads uh, in between all the scenes from the films. It varies, yeah. But I would say the uh, best ones do that. Okay. Exactly. It's a it's yeah. a balance. It's like you want to have maybe this amount of like invention in the book, and maybe even a little bit more, but. You also don't want to have a book that's so different, it's basically not even the movie, which happens sometimes. And then the worst case scenario, especially from a podcasting perspective where you're trying to generate content, <laughs> the worst case scenario is to like reading uh, like Good Burger or Die Another Day, two books we've done, in which the writer is basically like, I looked at the movie yeah. and my hand wrote down what was on the screen. as it. Yeah, was. those are not as good. <laughs> This one, I would say the amount of uh, variance uh, between the film and the novelization uh, suggests to me that uh, this, what what we are reading was the movie at one point. I think that those Mexico scenes were shot. And uh, I was sort of surprised that none of them are on any of the Blu-rays or anything, because it does seem to me like, yeah, I'll bet that the movie, or at least a kept script, maybe they, did, they didn't shoot it. But I do think at one point there was a more traditional introduction and uh, it was cut for whatever reason. And I think probably for the best, the only thing that I think that you lose uh, in not having sort of uh, that, that opening scene in Mexico is... I think the biggest problem in this movie, well, okay, one of the biggest problems in this movie is uh, the fact that uh, Mac just doesn't work as a character and you never get a sense of the relationship that Indy has with him. Uh, So when he is constantly betraying him and then reuniting with him and then betraying him again, it really means nothing. And so I, at first I was hopeful. I thought, oh, we're going to get to see them like working alongside one another. We're going to really, get that bond that you don't get in the movie. And I feel like you still don't, right? It's kind of astounding to me how much Mac doesn't work because I think Oxley works really well. And you have even less time of him and Indiana together as like human beings spending time. But like the way they handle his character, the way he's like talked about and referenced and cared for in the novelization and in the film, like Oxley works for me as a guy (laughs) we should care about. Mac fucking sucks. Has nothing going for it. Gnosis Oxley, be, or uh, or the same amount of Gnosis Oxley, because I like that. But I we get so little of him snapped out of it at the end. It's like I just want a little more, so I I, I feel that yeah. relationship more. I, I have yeah, a theory. I, I, I think John Hurt's fine. Um, I have a theory about um, a couple of characters, and I have no evidence for this whatsoever. So you know. <laughs> I don't even know. Take it with a with a with a cauldron of salt. Um, but the is um, more salt supposed to be less 
credibility or would less yes, salt so. be less credibility in my head it is, it okay. is yeah, it more, more salt is more is is less, is, is less credibility um cool the uh, glad to clear uh, that up <laughs> <laughs> um so i think oxley like there's a there was a draft at one point or maybe in some sort of conversation or treatment between lucas spielberg and uh and was it co-op yeah. who wrote this script um uh that i think oxley was gonna be henry jones senior i think that uh jim broadbent's character as the dean was gonna be marcus brody mm-hmm. and i think that um uh uh, uh who's it mac was gonna be uh Sala. they're definitely facsimiles like i mean uh for, poor denholm elliot had been dead so long i don't think that there was ever hope that he would get to be in another sequel Oh, that, that, that's but that, that's fair. Yeah. You're you're absolutely right in that these characters, all of them, are meant to remind us of those other characters. And there was a point when Sean Connery was, I believe, very close to signing on to yes. this, uh, as he was with so many movies in the last two decades of his retirement. It's very funny that they're like he's dead when you're like yeah. Sean Connery was not dead. It's okay to just say he's not in the movie. If they had gotten John Reese Davies, though, it would have to be a very different movie. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I mean, I, I'm not trying to imply that they were going to have Sala betray. No, Indy. I actually think that would be incredible. It should be like my favorite <laughs> movie. But look, there's that little bit of trivia about how Star Trek Six was the the what's her name that got booted out of Sex in the City. She's like plays a oh, yeah. uh, she. Sure, I I believe you, and she plays a traitor in Star Trek Six, who is supposed to be. Um, what's her name? Summer School. Oh, Kirstie Alley from the Star Trek oh, yeah. movie. Yes. I, why do I think of her as summer school? It's definitely not her cultural Yeah, touchdown. not sibling anyway. rivalry, the Carl Reiner film. I, I... Also, Kim Cattrall did not get kicked out of Sex in the City. She said, I don't want to be part of that. I want to stand up for her. She's the Amen. best. Amen. I second that. Okay. Great. I don't know anything about it, and I apologize in <laughs> advance. Um, just two Peter Davids in one episode going real strong. So... Um, Yes, I would love that. It seems to like never happen in series where you have a character who's quote unquote good and then they show up in several movies and then the betrayal happens four or five volumes in unless it's baked into the cake, unless it's Anakin Skywalker. So um, I would have loved that. You just can't have Mac be him as Mac is written because the betrayal would make sense from like Sala, but not the quadruple betray yeah back and forth yeah i think I if just it was Sala, about being you could have the, the initial betrayal and then the rest of the movie is him being like i've made a mistake i want to be a good guy again yes Probably, which would yeah. be yeah nice i don't think you could sell the i'm totally spineless thing that uh winstone has going on in this movie. Uh, yeah it's just a shame yeah. when someone a character we have just met betrays him five minutes later now if that happened halfway through the film it really might have meant something but like I, we don't even know his name yet really and it's like, oh my gosh, not you, Mac. Oh gosh, working for the Russians? Oh no. <laughs> I also feel like Ray Winstone like doesn't have he's not a guy where you're like, oh, I trust him immediately. I yes. love him immediately. I can't wait for him to be part of the movie immediately. He shows up and I'm like, who's that again? What's that face? I don't know, whatever. Like he's not maybe many people feel that way about him. I don't know. I don't. He's just like he's a guy. Wolf, and so like that I immediately trusted him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he just like comes across as kind of skeezy slimy immediately in this movie, particularly. And then you're like, okay, he did a betrayal, sure. It works better in the book for me because 
in general, I think the book adds a lot of flavor to these characters and like backstory and like the way India is written in relation to Mac. You get a feeling like he cares about this guy. They've had a lot of adventures together. He likes him. They get kidnapped in Mexico together. So when that happens five minutes into the book, it works a little better for me than it does. Yeah, I agree that the book uh, really, which is, I think, you know, pretty faithful, not in a like laundry list way that like Die Another Day was, but uh, everything's there, but just that subtext and inner monologue adds so much, just occasionally getting what Indy is thinking, uh, because I I don't know if Harrison was always doing that on set. I don't know if he was... (laughs) You know, always thinking something as he said some of these lines. Uh, it feels kind of phoned in from Harrison, yeah. I think. No, 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 no. Oh, oh, no. Whoa. No, absolutely not. I can't, I can't abide that. So Harrison Ford is such a terrible actor these days. I mean, he's just so, he's such a shell of a man. And, and, and he used to have, you know, real verve. So it, I, the contrast is just so stark whenever you see him in like, a firewall or whatever. Um, I kind of like firewall. I felt like in Indiana Jones four, you could tell that he loved the character and that he was like excited to be back. I think even when he's with Mutt and he's got some lines that don't totally land, you're a teacher part time. It's like, he's trying, he's doing it with a little winkiness that I think is not in like the Han Solo performance of there's stuff. I like, from him in this movie. I want to be clear. I don't think he's across the board bad or not trying. Uh-huh. I think he's probably trying, but not succeeding. And then when the movie gets stupider, he starts trying less. Like, I think like the first half of the movie, I think we can all agree is good. And I think his performance is good in Area 51 when he's teaching, but in him on the campus, in the grave cemetery thing, in that little town, all of that works for me and is good. Then the action in the jungle stuff, it just downhill, downhill, downhill. And he goes right with it. So like by the time he and Marion are kissing, I'm like, he doesn't give a shit about this scene. You know, it just all kind of like crumbles. Andrew, you specifically Uh, mentioned the part-time line reading, which is like famously uh, the trailer for this movie had a better take of him saying part-time. Like, in the trailer, that moment <laughs> lands. It's good. And it, it's one of the most baffling decisions that when we were all at uh, the Ziegfeld Theater opening night of this one, we get to that moment and we're, we're all, like, elbowing each other, like, oh, he's going to say part-time. And then he says it in the most lackluster way. And it just, it, it made us all go, like, huh? Why Why would you do that? <laughs> now, I feel that after reading this novelization, uh the movie is full of those things. Like there are a lot of little things that do not work in the movie that you can see why they might've worked better uh, because uh, like just one changed line or something uh, in the that is featured in the novelization that's not in the film. One through line that I noticed uh, that is totally thrown away in the film doesn't really make a lot of sense. Uh, it's in that same scene, basically, uh, where, uh, you know, there, there's a big thing made about how, like, oh, grave robbers will be shot. Well, we're not grave robbers. And then uh, Indy is going to take this dagger. That It's a fun look. After the fun little exchange with, you know, his little uh, mutt switchblade, then he gets a much better dagger. Now, in the book, uh, Mutt shames him for saying, like, hey, I thought we're not grave robbers. He says, okay, I'm putting it back. I'm... The film still has the sort of like I'm putting it back moment and like, uh, well, like, you know, I just need a new knife. It's like, OK, I'll put it back. Yeah, I didn't want to borrow your Yeah, exactly. Anymore. And that's, it's that's like kind of amusing, yeah. but it also doesn't quite play. And then 
it, it, it at least makes more sense in the book. And then it comes back several times, like a few times. They they reference the knife. They reference the we're not grave robbers thing, even though I would posit, well, in every Indiana Jones movie, he's always taking things from the temples. That's like why he's there. That's what kind of what archaeologists yeah. do. Yeah, he's not just there. The like, movie's called Raiders. Yeah, it, <laughs> yeah it, uh, what, whatever happened to it belongs in a museum. Like maybe that dagger belongs in a museum, but you know, whatever. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of those little interplays with Mutt in particular, which like makes their relationship a little spicier and more interesting. Um, it's not just Indy being like, let me teach you something, kid. Like in the book, there's a lot more back and forth that I really, really liked. And then watching the movie, I was like, where is it? I want that like little, oh, like I like their thing in the movie fine, but I liked it a lot more. In the yeah, I, I like it in the film up until he finds out he's his son. And then suddenly they they, they have no relationship. I mean, I mean, both Mutt and Marion kind of... <laughs> Like, you know, they're always there, but the camera's never on them. And they stop talking, yeah. uh, Marion especially. Marian. I mean, she's knocked unconscious at some point and, and just is is there. It's like, oh, is Marion here? Too? Oh, good. She's uh, she's in the, the boat car with us. Uh, but yeah, it's... Uh, and in the book, like, like the description point. of her driving the duck boat is like, gives her a lot to do. Yeah. Gives her a lot of agency. Yeah. Gives her a lot of like, she's making the plans here. But she doesn't get to <sighs> talk so much while she's driving because she's focused on the road that is being carved out in front of them by that weird thing <laughs> that's knocking down all the trees. A note on the, the part timeline. I think that there's two problems with that moment in the film. One is that it is, not only is it a different take, I also think that that line is ADR'd. Mm -hmm. And so like sometimes mm -hmm. when you get um, uh, uh, ADR lines, there's some disconnect between the performances and it can just create kind of a flat moment, which it most definitely did in the film. Because I remember that trailer moment, as, as, as you mentioned. But, like, on that note of that kind of, like, dad humor, there's a line in this initial um, intro between Indy and Mac in the jungle, where it's, like, the first attempt James Rollins has at the dad, the signature dad humor um, which is, I saw you swallowed by a snake, Max says this to Indy, and Indy says, apparently I gave it indigestion. Yeah. And I and I, and I I don't know whether I like it or, or I hate it, and I think that's the compliment <laughs> towards a dad joke. <laughs> the same with that, like, if you want to be a good librarian you or a good archaeologist, you have to get out of the library, and then they zoom out of the library. Perfectly balanced. So like good. Lame, but great. Yeah, I, I like that moment. Although I just noticed for the first time, or learned rather, from the end credits. Do you know who that kid is who who says, "Oh, Doctor Jones"? Uh, I I just yeah. I do. Okay, Andrew, I do. do you want the honors? I believe it is. I, uh, I believe it is Tom Hanks' son. Oh, yes, Chet. yes, the much beloved Chet, Chet Hanks in his film <laughs> debut. Everyone's um, favorite. I know that the girl who punches Mutt in the diner is Steven Spielberg's mm, daughter. Yeah. I think. Huh. But Chet? Oh my God! He could have had it all. Okay, the library. I got so much to say on so many I, things. Should but, we like? We should work. Should we work through it? Yeah. In order. Yeah. yeah. I mean, do, do, do we want to blow past the uh, the, the fridge? Can, we, I, we, can I ask a question? Can I, I, can I ask a question about the, the beginning part of this? Because like, oh, I, yeah, I yeah, read yeah. this, and I was pretty yeah. sure. I, I was pretty sure I read this, and then I tried to follow it along. But I'm pretty sure that it mentioned that Indiana Jones has a beard at the beginning of this film. And in my head, it's the beard from The Fugitive. You know, it's like a great big bush area, <laughs> as Tim Broadwood would yeah. say. Um, and, 
And it never says he shaves. So there's a little part of me that it says canonically in this book, Indiana Jones has a beard throughout the entire film. And I kind of want to see I think it's a missed opportunity. You know, funny you should say that. Well, you're a fan, I guess. So, you know, Uh, I think at the same time he filmed The Fugitive with that giant beard. He did shoot a framing device for an episode of the Indiana Jones Jones Chronicles. And he had that same beard. Uh, It it was arguably (laughs) the worst episode of that series. It was all about him becoming a saxophone player. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I've only heard that appearance described and it, it, the description makes me laugh every time. I I remember being very disappointed at the time. It's like, finally, we're going to get real old indie and uh it was like him learning to play saxophone and i think jeffrey wright is in there in his uh, uh screen debut at one point apparently to get somebody out of trouble there's like villains of some sort coming in indiana jones plays saxophone so loudly that snow falls off the roof yeah that, that's the big climax uh you know, Young Indiana Jones is available on DVD, I'm pretty sure. And I think I'm going to buy them, and I think I'm going to watch them. <laughs> the box set <laughs> is, the is under now. my bed right now, and uh, I'm not going to lie, I did think about pulling it out this week. <laughs> okay, so for, for the listener, if we're starting at the beginning, we've alluded to this a little bit, but the book basically begins with Indiana Jones, our hero Well, it does from... begin with that conquistador, mm-hmm. to be fair. Oh, that's true. The book begins with... Francisco de Oriana, uh, he's everything's already happened to him. Basically, he found yeah. the skull. He tried to leave with the skull. Then he decided he didn't want to leave with the skull because he could feel that that was wrong because of magic. And then his men were like, "All right, dude, we'll fucking leave you. We got so much treasure." And he's like, "Okay, cool, leave me. That sounds great." And they're like, "Right, but we're gonna take the giant quartz skull because we like money." And he's like, no, don't do that. So he fights them to the but, death. But not so magic. But not magic. Like covered in knowledge. his own men's... Knowledge was their treasure, yeah, of course. <laughs> right. Knowledge was their magic. And um, as, he, <laughs> as the book begins, he's covered in his own men's blood. And he's returning or attempting to return the skull. And then he's beset upon by the people who live in this region who he mistakes for the living dead, because as we will see later in the film, they successfully pull off being moving skeletons. Yeah, they really much. look like they're it, really the point, good at it. To the point where I remembered from watching the movie two weeks ago that they were literal undead. Mm. And <laughs> rewatching it, I was like, oh, I'm just fully oh, mistaken. Oh. Just so guys. anyway, then the book launches into this mini adventure with Indiana and George Mac. What's his um, last name? Mikhail. Mikhail. Uh, where. They are investigating some sort of Mayan treasure, and it it ends up that Indiana Jones falls into, what, the mouth of a, st- mm-hmm. a snake statue? Am I getting that yeah. right? Yeah. I was really trying to picture it, I, and I was imagining sort of the uh, the, the big statues in the, the Well of Souls and Raiders, uh, you know, that, that there's a, a big sort of jackal thing or something or other. It's like, oh, so it's like a... It's a thing, but its mouth is a gape, and he sort of goes through it. That's the passageway in, but I, I don't know. I, then he falls through its tummy, yeah. goes on a river ride, and gets pooped out yes. the back. Oh, hold up, hold up. I was insanely in- excited for this book at <laughs> this point. I'm not saying the book <laughs> is bad, but I do think that it has less bursts of full invention later yeah. on. Um, so I'm going <clears> to <throat> just read the passage of him falling into the snake. It says, Indy sidled farther into the statue, half hanging into the pit, his arm outstretched. The glyph came into better focus. Indy recognized it. 
He had seen the same carving on the lintel above one of the temples outside. It was a figure of a man, upside down as if falling, symbolizing mankind's birth into this world. Or maybe it was more literal, a warning to be careful. Too late. The lip of stone broke away under Indy, and he went tumbling down into the pit. His heart jammed into his throat, choking back a yell of surprise and fear. His hands scrambled against the walls. His legs splayed, trying to stop his plunge. But the walls were too smooth. The lantern hit the water first and was doused. Then he struck. The icy chill cut to the bone, tried to squeeze the air from his chest. He forced himself to hold his breath as the hard current grabbed him and shot him down the river tunnel. He rolled and turned in, com and turned in complete blackness. He fought to keep his legs out in front of him as he was swept along. That's what I get for playing with snakes. At this point, I was like, hell yeah, novelizations rule. We are in it to win it with this one. This is the good version of Indy's snake issue, yeah. as opposed to the later one, which is bad. Yeah, that, that's such a bummer, the, the, the whole uh, sand pit thing and the snake. It's like, it, it, since that was the only snake thing we got, it, it, uh, uh, yeah, it, it's a so much better. Kid. There's some like, there's also stuff in that's not to jump ahead too much, but like you're good. That's like it's a rat snake. It's harmless, and Indy's like rat snakes aren't that big. And later, like they're like, well, this is an area where stuff is giant due to the influence of aliens. And the movie isn't playing with any of that. They're just like, we got a giant snake. Grab the snake. Um, is that the implication? Like the is that like it is a rat snake, but it's just big because aliens made things bigger? Uh that's that's what I thought because at least in the maybe this is like the the reflection upon having read the book, but the book has a whole thing about like the yeah. ants, but like those ants are never that big, but they're really big here. And I assumed it was because of alien. Um, and then I was like, oh, there's like other, and then when Mutt is also like, I saw a giant something or other, and I was like, that's stupid kid, shut up. And he's like, but I saw it. And then he comes up with this giant snake. Like there's all these giant animals throughout I, I didn't the... get that, but Hannah, I think that this is the best uh, explanation. I'm going to tell people. Yeah, I like on. this theory. I just thought yeah. it was to him and that it was like a, uh, you know, an anaconda that was very dangerous, but you had to lie to him to get him to grab it. I mean, nothing is stupider than like, here, grab this snake. Like, get a stick, honey, get a yes. vine. Like, the snake is a bad call on every single level, like, functionally, thoughtfully. Like, you have any human being a snake, they don't want to grab They're it. They're surrounded by trees. Young. There's trees everywhere. Yeah. And also, like, wouldn't that hurt the yeah, snake? Yeah. Well, I would be really concerned about hurting snakes. Snakes are very muscular, very strong, but still, I, I, the, the snake's not enjoying this. Yeah. The thing spine, is that that's all the boats it yeah. has. The thing that you're not addressing is that <laughs> they he has to tell them to tell him it's a rope. That's important <laughs> to him, which is a good character beat. Okay, back to yes. Area Fifty One. Here's yeah. the thing about Area Fifty One. They get to Area 51. He's basically kidnapped right when he gets spat out of the, the river that was near the snake statue or in the snake statue. Anyway. Yeah. And he... we assume that the Russians know where to find him because Mac told yeah. them, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. They were on a mission to get Indiana Jones, which, small side note, Hannah, we recently, and this episode will have been released by the time this one comes out, we <laughs> okay. recently did National Treasure 2 as a bonus episode. <laughs> And it's wild how much these have in common that they're both about men searching for cities of gold and the villain is just like, let me let him figure everything out and I'll just keep following mm -hmm. him. I'll just I kidnap think... him whenever I can and just pick him different. up and go, what'd you learn? Good job, Scout. 
Okay, go back in the world. Okay, I got him again. <laughs> Anywho. Good stuff. So, um, he gets kidnapped by the Russians. They go to Area 51. Um, I think this is awesome. Like, seeing the warehouse from the end of Raiders could feel cheap, except that it's such a pertinent plot point. It's like, uh, yeah. this is where everything that we don't know what the fuck it is goes. And... So, of course, us bringing you here without an explanation is scary. What are we looking for? I would also say, like, it didn't immediately occur to me that it was the same warehouse as from the end of Raiders. It could just be a different mm -hmm. military warehouse. Yeah. So at the end of that sequence, when you see the Ark of the Covenant, it's like, ah, ha, ha, how fun. A moment that is not in the book. It is in the book. Uh, is it? It is in the book. And yeah. in the book, and, uh, sorry. Uh, well, sorry. No, in the book, it is different in the sense that uh, Jones sees it. I mean, because like otherwise, yes. it would just be the uh, you know the 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 uh, narration commenting on it. But yeah, Jones has a moment of like, "Hey, what's that sheen? That golden sheen over there? Oh my gosh, is that the Ark of the Covenant? Oh, back to running away from Mac again. Yeah, it, it's it's sort of a throwaway. <laughs> it works better in the I film. That. Yeah, it works better in the film because him seeing it in the book, I was like. Pick that thing up, take the lid off, run around with it like like it's a melting facing your enemy. <laughs> <He's just close>, <laughs> um, the you know what I did like that I felt worked in the book better was the description of how the gunpowder, yeah. like throwing the gunpowder yes. works, because mm -hmm. it sounds more at least from what I remember it um, that it would it floats in the air and then it like falls to the ground in the direction of where you should go. Whereas in the uh, film, it kind of comes off as like nanobots <laughs> being thrown through the air and floating right. uh, uh, like a bunch of like a horde of flies towards your, your target. In the book, yeah. he's also like, hey, does anybody have a compass? Like he asks for a very reasonable mm -hmm. thing. And they're like, no. And then he starts being like, can you can you, can I have shotgun shells? Whereas, of course, they're put off in the movie when when he's like they go, can you help us find this thing? And he's basically like, yeah, give me grenades. And they're like, no. <laughs> He does ask for a compass in the movie. I remember oh, this. Oh, really? Okay. And all of the guys are just like, we don't have those. Which seems unrealistic. Yeah, I, mean, I think they all, I mean, yeah, they're not on their phones, but, uh, you know. I mean, in terms of the logistics of uh, of recent events, <laughs> I think that uh, I, mean, I think knows. that it's possible they don't have, the Russians yeah. don't have compasses. Yeah, it's a different time. Oh, so you think that the entire Russian army is flat earthers in this? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm willing to go there. <laughs> I mean... These are also like the Russian soldiers that this like crazy woman has like, gotten yeah. around her. So they might be bad soldiers. Yeah. She may have gotten the worst of the worst. That is a problem I have with this movie is that uh, uh, you don't have a lot of really good solid henchmen, hench people, uh, you know, your you're second bananas. You, you don't have your totes to your bellocks. Um, it's really just a bunch of, uh, you know, Russian soldiers in the background vaguely out of focus uh one who you've kind of recognized enough mm -hmm. to know like oh that guy got eaten by an ant um but uh yeah i i really do miss that you know we get so many supporting characters for the indie team but so few uh with the russians it's it's just uh kate blanchett is the whole yeah. show uh for better or worse is Delchenko the one that gets anti i think so yeah, yeah. okay I wish that Kate Blanchett, whose character's name is Spalco, yeah, right? yeah, or Irina. Spalco. I wish she had like a weird little scientist guy. Exactly, with her. that's a, you know, like something. Yeah. Would, the closest yeah. she comes to a a henchman is Mac, and you know, Mac sucks. Yeah. So he doesn't yeah. work. <laughs> yeah. 
In the book, they put Mac's head under the tire of a truck in Area 51, which just felt needlessly cruel. James Rollins, <laughs> I think, being like uh, having this omniscient view of the story <laughs> was just like, fuck this guy. <laughs> Um, but I, I think Area 51 is like such an inspired idea because it just gives them the it gives them the latitude to be like he's in a playground of ridiculousness. Mm-hmm. And we just get to do back to back supersonic train thing and then yeah. nuclear test site neighborhood. I mean I was and, all like in. Area 51 as a concept sets you up for aliens from the beginning. Like, right. even if it takes you a while to realize we're talking about little gray men, like, the, they show you the Area 51 sign, you get a sense that you're at Area 51, and that, like, sets a primer for you as an audience that there will be aliens. Yeah, as, as, much, as, as much as, like, the aliens element doesn't really work for me, um, in terms of this story, like, that, the, the, the Area 51 location is cer- certainly very pertinent. Yeah you know, to, uh, to, to the overall plot. It's fun to think about how things like this were written sometimes. And the way that I was like viewing area 51 <clears throat> as a writer is you're going, okay, they have to bring him to the warehouse. Cause that's really important. Then I want to do this nuclear bomb thing because that's just an idea I have. And it's the fifties now. <laughs> and then logically it goes, wait, but they wouldn't set off a nuclear bomb right next to the warehouse housing the Ark of the Covenant and all this other important stuff. And certainly the last thing they came up with as connective tissue was the inexplicable rocket, rocket train. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. How do we get him so far away so, so fast? Yeah, I think it works. You know, and in it's... the moment, it oh, works. It's so fun. Yeah. It's just experimental government technology and they whoopsie set it off and get blasted down the road <laughs> and then fall down. I don't think it's any more ridiculous than things in other Indiana Jones movies. Especially in the cold opens. I mean, I will take all of this up through the, the, the riding the fridge. Uh, all of this is better to me than the uh, circus train that contains the origin of every character trait that Indiana Jones ever had. Uh, that, that is just one I, you know, as a kid, I loved it because it's like, oh, wow, it's a kid. They should do a whole show of young Indiana Jones, I foolishly thought. Uh, but, you know, River Phoenix, you know, God rest his soul. But uh, it's, uh, wow, that one plays real dumb now. And whenever I hear someone say like, oh, nuke the fridge, oh, that's so stupid. I think, mm, I don't know. I think that is uh, very well set up. It's a great sequence i think him stumbling on that town wandering through and seeing those first mannequins is great it got a huge response on the that you know opening night uh audience i I think it's great in the book it's really spooky like you really like don't know what's going on it's very ominous and creepy and then you start to put it together at the same time indiana does and it's like cool and fun and exciting and i think the fridge thing is smart and works well. I wish it didn't ride the blast wave. That's a little silly. Mm. But getting in the fridge to survive the nuclear bomb is like, good, smart, on yeah, it, love yeah. it. Yeah, I, I think better if the fridge is just in the blast and protected. The fact that it flies just to where <laughs> it needs to fly out of the zone is a bit much, but hey, those uh, prairie dogs are cute, right? I mean, we see them like four times. I do think that the... Uh, um, the fridge bit of getting inside a lead lined fridge is not only um, smart because it's kind of that good news, bad news action 
trope that they uh, that they they do a lot. Um, uh, I, I think that that that's really what it is, and I, I never uh, thought about it until you mentioned it, Hannah. But the idea that like this fridge is at the core of a nuclear blast, and the, but it's going to be good enough, <laughs> you know. I think that's <laughs> where, where where people um, 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 it lost people. If it were, had been kind of like I guess further along the outskirts of like okay, like there's the the house is going to go, but like the fridge will be fine. Um, uh, uh, yeah. Riding the blast is where it, it's, it's not where a it kind of loses. It's us. not I a remember being fridge. in the movie theater yeah. watching it ride the blast, and then it like hits the ground and rolls a lot, and I was like. That old man broke all of his bones. <laughs> yeah. Like that was my concern. Like I could totally buy that he survived the nuclear bomb, that he like made it that like I was like such a disbelief. I'm on board, like led, mm. got it. Then I was like, bones though. He he busted. And the movie's like, he's fine. <laughs> that was too much for me. Right. Man, if o- if only it had cut to Indiana Jones in a full body Ooh. cast in a wheelchair, <laughs> and and the fucking janitor from Scrubs being like, "You're uh, Rusky." <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, that was an amazing line delivery. I just want to say, <laughs> thank you. Yes, casting agents take note. Um, <laughs> certainly, there'll be no more acting from me uh, coming later in the episode. <laughs> hmm. Um. Okay, in that scene with the government agents, I really like how this is like lightly covered in the movie, but I feel like they do more of it throughout the book where you get like a little bit of the connective tissue of what mm-hmm. Indy was up to during the war, like post-1938 to our 1957 or whenever we are. Like that he was in the army, that he did like secret missions during the war. Like all of that stuff is fun stories I would love to hear more about. And I was excited to hear even a little bit about them. This dude went to war when he's like 40. <laughs> yeah, he did. He he must have volunteered, right? I mean, he's definitely too yeah. old to be drafted for World yeah. War II. And then he definitely said, like, listen, I've been on a lot of crazy adventures, as you know, because I handed you the Ark of the Covenant. Can I do spy <laughs> stuff? And they were like, yeah. Hey, I successfully posed as a German Nazi to Hitler's face. Can I do spy stuff? I think Hannah knows. (laughs) What is in the box at Area 51? It's a corpse of some sort. It's like an alien corpse, but how does it tie into the plot? I guess the aliens in general, I'm not totally clear on. How does them being around thousands of years ago relate to them crashing in Roswell 10 years prior to the events of the movie? I, here's what here's what I believe based on my what I read in the book. Okay. Um, the aliens from the far past go missing or never go home or whatever. Their people send other aliens to look for them, and one of those is the guys who crash in Roswell. So Spock yeah. was like, "This is like related to the other Crystal Skull that the ship there. only like, works slightly if different. All there. So maybe these are like scouts or they're like cousins. They're not." The head honchos, right. they're other little guys. So I think that's, does that answer your question? So what was keeping mm-hmm. the aliens on Earth if, if they're so desperate to leave as they do at the end of the film? The one guy's head was not with the <laughs> <laughs> They so wouldn't the, leave a, without him. So Because so, uh, the, they're a hive mind. Yeah. Because they're a hive mind, yeah. And, and, okay. Yeah, I believe that yeah. like, you're missing a piece, a part. Wow. Yeah, a <laughs> yeah. head. What a thing to a lose. A lot of pipe. You got to lay a lot of pipe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of work, but they get there. <laughs> so uh, yeah, the the scene with him 
being inter- interrogated by the uh, the guys after the Area 51 stuff is whatever. Everyone distrusts him. It's it's a picture of... of uh, I literally like, don't know why they distrust him. He's Indiana Jones. I but- think it's just supposed to be something that, I mean, feels very timely, which is like this feeling of everyone going, okay. oh, the institutions that we were relying on are like eroding, um, which... It, it, yeah, the Red Scare thing is a thing, obviously. Uh, and I, I just think that uh, that mood doesn't uh, like persist throughout the entire film. So it does seem a little absurd that like Indiana Jones, who has done so much for this country, suddenly is uh, getting fired from his position at the university. Poor Jim Broadbent has to resign. Yeah. Do you think he gets uh, reinstated that, by again. the end? Yeah, does, yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, because he's overseeing the, uh, the 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 lettering on the door. Although he is now the, wait, Indiana Jones is now the he's dean associate. Is that what's happening? Associate dean. Okay, so yes, Jim, Jim Broadbent is back. Every, everyone associates is... with him. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> their relationship. But, uh, but I think you're right that, like, it's, it's great quote. that this is, like, this uh, the Red Scare stuff was, like, in the air in the 50s. And, like, a lot of the stuff, Area 51 and the Red Scare, and all, all this is setting us up for, like, what the, the, the kind of a plot that we're, we're moving towards. Um, and moving Indiana into this new decade makes a lot of sense. But, like, this aspect of... Uh, questioning his loyalty doesn't really go anywhere. Like he loses his job, but like that doesn't really change much. He just ends up going on his adventure and he gets his job back at the end. The adventure would be identical if he just was like taking leave from his job for a second Mm -hmm. because somebody asked him to, as he does all the time. Mm -hmm. There's no consequence. It's also not believable that Indy wouldn't have friends at the FBI, the CIA, and such. That, like, you know, something this could get sorted out. He has made well, he does. He has Charles Whitmore. Uh, although there is a line, he has Charles Whitmore from yes. Lost. <laughs> yes, <laughs> there is a line in the book that I don't think is in the film. Yeah, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong. But uh, when Mac is first telling him, like, the oh, like in Berlin, I'm a double agent. I think in the book, but not in the film, he says those CIA agents who like came to you, I sent them there. Uh, that that was all part of the plan. Now it's a lie, mine, yeah. but it's a lie. But it at least like it, it would, I think, uh, sell to Indiana that like, oh yeah, that that does make sense. Because why would these agents be coming after me if it weren't part of this plan with mm-hmm. Mac? I think that it's meant to just illustrate. I think it's like weirdly earnest. It's meant to illustrate the CIA is looking at Indiana Jones because they are numbskulls. And they're like, we are fighting the Russians. You were used in a Russian plan. We have decided you're a person of interest against a ton of evidence. And I'm sure there are people that would stick up for him. And I think it just does a really good job. It's something I like about the movie of painting the era as like paranoia being this choice that the government is making as opposed to critical thinking. Like I wish there was panic more as a blanket, it. you know? Like, I wish he had, like, I wish the CIA was like, look, we're going to let you go, but we're sending an agent with you, and this guy's with you the whole movie. And that guy has to mm. be like, I don't trust you, I trust you, I don't trust you, I trust you. So you, ha- like, yeah. the concept I like, but the moment they're in the jungle, all of that falls away. Like, all of that disappears in every single way, and it yeah. 
I think if you're you going to do want, it, I want you to do it more. I think you just want the janitor from Scrubs to go on the adventure with them. <laughs> yeah. like, I mean, he'd be fun. He'd be a fun buddy who's like, what's happening? What is this? I don't know about this. <laughs> That'd be fun. Mm-hmm. My favorite type of movie is when someone is distressed in glasses. <laughs> I mean, I love having a, a skeptic who has to face the thing, you know, like the guy's like, I don't believe in aliens. Oh, God, what is that? You know, like, I like that stuff in movies. Oh, speaking of which, Hannah, we we, d- we gave some lip service on National Treasure to <laughs> the um, concept of characters who have seen ridiculous things but still refuse to believe. Henry <laughs> Jones Jr., what the fuck are you doing saying that aliens cannot exist in this movie? You saw I the mean- Ark of the Covenant. Melt well, these faces. are separate things. Religious miracles and aliens are not the same. I'm willing to say that they are different. Uh, he's really echoing the sentiment that the fans uh, were, were shouting out. It's like, oh my gosh, aliens, this is too far. It's like, yeah, but the last movie, he was getting the Holy Grail. And remember the magic rocks with like, you know, there's three lines on and they glow red. And, uh, you know, they, they... all of that, like my, coming out of the movie theater in 2008, I was like, aliens are not religious miracles. Indiana Jones exists in a world of religious miracles. And whatever your religion may be, those things are real. Like Temple of Doom, like Raiders and uh, Last Crusade are very Christian, right? Mm-hmm. Temple of Doom is a made-up, offensive <laughs> religion, but those miracles are still religious miracles that are real, kind of, right? Yeah, yeah. Although, and then so like, I had to really work myself into being like, these aliens are the Mayan gods, and therefore I have to accept that this is fine in the world of Indiana which I, Jones, which I think is yeah, what George Lucas fine. and Spielberg said. You know, uh, I think that's how they <laughs> worked it in there because I think it started with, if I understand from the from the, the, the history of, uh, of this film, that George Lucas was the one who was like, we're doing aliens, goddammit. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, Spielberg and Harrison Ford were like, are, are we? And he's like, we're doing it, or I'm not in. I'm not doing it unless it's aliens. Um, <laughs> well, what's better, I ask you? Uh, aliens or a haunted castle with ghosts? Because that was the original idea for Haunted this. castle with ghosts? Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I do <laughs> want to see this. It, it was like I want to see Indiana Jones versus ghosts. Yeah, it was a, a Scottish <laughs> castle, and it was haunted, and it was going to be like a horror movie. It was the that's so funny. I that, that's I amazing. That would be amazing, and I and I'd be more on board for it now after Aliens. <laughs> you know, well, um, yeah, I think like I agree. Having crossed think, the aliens threshold, yeah. give me ghosts. Yeah. I think that the biggest problem with, that this film faced—I don't think it's a problem with the film necessarily—is that. It had been uh, uh, almost twenty, or no? It had been uh, uh, what, what? What year was this? Two thousand eight. So oh, totally okay, guess. it had been almost twenty years. years. Yeah, oh, nineteen okay. years since Last Crusade, uh, and so there was a lot of hype, a lot of buildup, and I think that this is a perfectly fine film if it's like the eighth installment, but people have been waiting and waiting. <laughs> and if we had had like a few others in between where it's like, okay, yeah, so this is the alien one. Yeah, but why not? We're, we'll do something new. But I don't know. I think there was too much buildup. I think that- This guy found Amelia Earhart. He can find <laughs> aliens. <laughs> I would love an Indiana Jones finds Amelia Earhart movie. <laughs> this is a novelization, but there were just like Star Wars, obviously there were- dozens and dozens and dozens of uh of like canon books i guess that were uh you know 
further adventures that you could read about. And I think that this movie feels like one of those. It maybe doesn't always feel like the original three movies. Uh, but as that sort of fan fiction-y thing, I think it works. And I wish we had had more of it. And, uh, you know, it, I, you know I'm, I'm hoping that they really like uh, you know, bring it home with this fifth one. So, you know, I think that with the... I mean, uh, we have to discuss the concept of a fifth one at the end of this. Because yes, there's, will. like, yeah, uh, insurmountable issues yeah, in my will. book. So, so I think that the thing about the aliens for me that I still have trouble getting past, and, and since we're on the subject, I think that, you know, in filmmaking, we talk a lot about how something reads, you know, and basically that shorthand for saying, hey, I know factually it's this, but this is how it feels, you know, um, and oftentimes in a visual, uh, visually we're talking about it that way. Um, and the thing is, when I get into aliens, I'm getting into sci-fi and sci-fi generally is in the future, you know, and so and I associate Indiana Jones with the past. Um, and so I, I think that's where I get a kind of disconnect between aliens and uh and and indiana jones um but the uh, reframing it uh, um as like mayan gods you know it 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 i think that's it it gets there enough that like upon rewatch um i can i can i can I mean, bear it <laughs> i'm really like wrenching the wheel into this works for me you know mm. like it's an effort to be like gods oh i'm um, not <laughs> <laughs> no, you're you're fine with it. I love it. Yeah, I mean, so I think that this fourth movie is doing what the new Star Wars trilogy was afraid to. So I'm. This is not an original thought. I'm not the first person to say this, but something that was wonderful about the original Star Wars trilogy and the prequels is that Lucas would like send up different genres. He'd be like, "Okay, this movie's gonna have like a samurai influence or whatever." And then in the next movie, he'd just be like, I'm going to bring in some other influences, you know, mm -hmm. like he was half he was of all... this movie is a noir detective story. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, and that that is aged pretty terrifically, in my opinion, that one. Um, <laughs> and then the good half of that movie. episode seven rolls around and essentially is like, you know what we're going to send up in this Star Wars movie? Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just like it, we have the item already and we want to feel the way that thing made us feel. I think that a successful Star Wars sequel trilogy, one way you could do it is to continue to bake in new genres and new new influences. And I think that's what the fourth Indiana Jones movie is doing. It's saying Indiana Jones isn't a past thing. He was a 30s thing. And so he had everything the 30s entailed. Like, as far as the the national stage went and our attitudes towards certain European countries. And <laughs> motherfucker got old. Like, it's been 20 years. So we have to have those sensibilities mature with him. And so what that means is now we have new national enemies and as a culture, we have new genres to explore. I think what's popular at the time is as important as what's actually factually happening in the world. When I agree with you intellectually. Like, I think putting him in the 50s, putting him into the 50s sci-fi version of Pulp, I like all of that intellectually. Mm -hmm. I don't think the movie works. Like, something about, like, the wonder and majesty of the religious stuff in the first three does not translate 
the same way onto the sci-fi stuff. And I think it could. I'm just not sure it does. Maybe that's a failing of the movie or the plot or something. But like, I don't know. I Intellectually, I'm like, yes, I want him to encounter different batshit things in like the greater universe. It just doesn't quite come together in the same way. And, and I, right. what I will say is that I, and I was going to bring up exactly that, Andrew, is that in, in the regard to the idea of like, this idea of like he's in the, he's in the fifties now, so now we're gonna have to transpose Indiana Jones for that, and then the same way that you know he was, uh, we were sending up pulp serials. Now we have mm-hmm. to send up what was popular at that time. That's all like sound artistic choice, um, and I I feel as though either there's another choice you know in terms of the 50s which i i, I can't i can't tell you exactly what that would uh, that would be um but uh, maybe we need this has just occurred to me so mutt is a young guy in the 50s who has embraced the 50s maybe mutt needs to be like what if it's aliens what if it was aliens could it be aliens and have indiana jones mr 30s be like no it's not fucking aliens kids like it's not aliens i got and it. then it's aliens because it's the I 50s like you know what else was popular in the 50s the movie musical so now <laughs> send up brigadoon and south pacific i dare you also, by oh my, my god, logic. please, Indiana Jones meets Burger Dune. I mean, Temple Dune of Doom opens with a musical number. Also, and a great one at that. I, I always wanted a little more of that. And as we know, Stevie, good at musicals. <laughs> Established 2021. We did it. Also, by my logic, if we're going by what's popular at the time must influence the movie, Indiana Jones 5, he has to like <laughs> fight the Sith. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so Indiana Jones 5 will be set in the early 70s. Early like, 70s, what are we yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. He's fighting the <laughs> Let's mafia. Get back. <laughs> Let's get back to this book set in the 50s. I can't engage with Indiana Jones okay. 5 yet. So we're we're basically up to up to what? Uh, the Mutt stuff Mutt, where he's, yeah. he's going to fight in the, in the cafe and everything. Yeah. Mutt is great. I love Mutt. I love, Mutt. I love his little outfit that is one half Marlon Brando. <laughs> One half softcore Tom of Finland. <laughs> it's amazing. That's, that's so right. That's so apt. Yeah. It occurred to me watching the movie, and I was just like, "This is a this is a delicate baby boy posturing at something. He is not truly, and some of that is gay kink. Um, <laughs> he's such a sweetie pie. Like I think what I like so much about Mutt is that he shows up and he's like, "I'm a tough racer kid." Just kidding. I read a lot of books and I love my fake dad. Like he's just a sweet pea who's like smart and thoughtful and like scared and emotional. Like there's that one shot in the movie where they find Oxley's cell, and like there like there's a behind of Shia LaBeouf where he says like he must have lost his mind, and then they cut to the yeah. front of his face and he is weep like weeping yes. like he is crying because of this guy who he loves who is not well. <laughs> I'm like, good God, this kid rocks! I love this like yeah, emotional I, I commitment. People in theory have no problem with the character of Mutt, but people do have a Shia LaBeouf problem, like even <laughs> then they did. And uh, I think that at this point of his career, that was wrong. Shia was great. Shia is really good. I think that there was a reason that Spielberg was putting him in everything. He thought he was the future. Uh, you know, uh, I, I don't know. I don't think he had the uh, wildest fall from grace of the of cast members in this film, uh, but that's only because I only just learned that Chet Hanks is in this film. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, Shy is so good. And I think he what notoriously sort of said, like, it's stupid. Yeah. It's a blockbuster. I don't respect it. And Spielberg was like, what's your fucking problem? Because mm-hmm. um, this is the best version of a blockbuster to be in, Shia. But he's very good. I know. I think Shia is giving a really great performance as uh, someone who's probably like a slight variation on what a young Indiana Jones would have been. So he does have a little more like, I'll fucking fight you. Like, I, I, I feel like Indiana Jones probably wasn't quite like that. But he's like, he's got all the curiosity. He's got all of the sort of um, charisma, but he has this feeling, or there's this feeling to him that he doesn't know how to use the gifts he has. And he feels like this embodiment of promise without like any wisdom. If that makes sense. Well, that's part of the thing with Mutt, right? Is that like he dropped out of school. Like, I'm he talking really... about Mutt. I know. No, oh. this is what I mean. Like, I agree oh, okay. with you. But like, <laughs> like a, a part of his character is this unfulfilled promise. And he has to, because he like is smart. He's capable. He dropped out of school. He doesn't want to pursue anything. He doesn't know what his future is. And he has to go on this journey with Indiana Jones to like get a sense of himself. I'm agreeing with you. Okay, it's, it's all baked into his character. You just said it with the inflection of, I, of, of me being like, so Mutt's like this, and you being like, yeah, that's kind of how I feel about Marion. I was like, Mutt's like this, and you're like, that's how I feel about Mutt. John, I'm John, sorry. Does this I'm happen sorry. every episode that mom and dad just end up fighting? <laughs> with love, with love. <laughs> the, basic, the basic premise of the podcast is Hannah and I have never agreed on the quality of a novelization before. Everyone I like, she hates. Everyone she hates, That's I like, true. even though we both love novelizations. <laughs> then I have her explain the plot to me because I didn't understand it. And then I force her to do some really, uh, like, sort of overwrought bonus material where i'm like and then at the end we say i love you good night (laughs) exactly it's always some overwrought thing where i'm like okay so you're james bond and i'm the i'm the another day that's dying and what if we (laughs) yeah (laughs) anywho Mm -hmm. so i'm sorry i'm sorry go ahead i like the plot point that they are brought together because mutt is sort of intentionally released to bring the letter to indiana jones i think that's a cool like lock and key idea we have this code the man who could possibly decode it for us has gone crystal skull insane so <laughs> we have to send his son to to or we have to send this kid to his father to to get it decoded i think that's like a really cool plot point and just from a writing standpoint, it's a cool way to wrap him back into mm. the story. It feels very much like mm. I sent the uh, the the book to my son so it would get away from me. Why would he bring it back here? I do like that uh, Mutt uncovers an adventure that Indiana Jones had that has not been alluded to before. Where he's like, how do you know this language that we're dealing with? And Indiana Jones is like, oh, I hung out with this historical figure. And <laughs> Mutt's like how and he goes oh, I, was, I was kidnapped by him when i was about your age which first off I really, was like is this that dude a young indiana jones episode it feels like it has to be oh I, i'll be i'll be clear i think i've seen all of those episodes once and i and, I, and so like i have i i'm a fan but i also have not um i i, I haven't retained as much right, I as so. i would have liked to like to claim i believe it is yes uh 
I, I had that same question, and I thought maybe Patrick would know. Uh, yes, I believe that that is a very specific episode of uh, Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. Maybe even the pilot, because it's like split. It felt up. like such a specific reference that I was like, this must be a Young Indiana Jones episode. Um, and I I'm glad I, that those are wrapped in as canonical. Well, like That's Ray Winstone, it's going to turn out that Ray Winstone for in this film is like Cad Bane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like they're pulling him in to the. Uh, to the <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, now I'm wondering if there's yeah. an episode in which like Young Indiana Jones is like uh, <laughs> posing as a Nazi with Mac, Young Mac. Yeah, who knows? I, I guess I do have to grab that thing out of from under my bed. I have a, a very nitpicky question, which is. <laughs> Is he using the term double agent correctly? Uh, good question. I, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. That that whole concept and dialogue, and especially since it's a lie, it is rather clunky, uh, where it, it, it just raises more questions than it answers. And it should do that for Indy as well. And he's a good guy undercover with the Russians, pretending to be a bad guy, doing some bad guy stuff on that regard. That's being a double agent. Oh, because he's an agent for both parties, but he's actually one. But of them. I was thinking that he's a good guy pretending to be a Russian, <laughs> and that character is pretending to be a good guy. So even though he is good, yeah, he's not actually a double agent. He's a single agent for the Russians. No, but I my argument, and this is great podcasting. Uh-huh. My argument <laughs> is that his, if he is a double agent in the way that he claims. His character that he's playing as a Russian is itself pretending. So instead of honestly being a good guy, he's being a double negative good guy. Which makes him like a triple agent. Well, well, they address this later yes. on because at one point, uh, yeah, at one point he mentions like, oh, so were you, are you a triple agent? He's like, no, I just lied about being a double agent. <laughs> oh, that's a good Winstone, yeah. There's some seriously incredible uh, acting going on in this episode for sure. Um, so, what do we think of the uh, of the chase? What do, what do we think of the chase through town when? Uh... Which chase? Oh, fantastic! I, I I thought we were in Peru. Uh, no, no, yeah, I love the the chase across the college campus, even though it's the wrong college campus from the other movies. Uh, I, I think it looks great. I think that. Uh, oh, I, I will say uh, th- this is not a comment on the book, but I was kind of blown away rewatching the film the other night that the stunt double for Harrison Ford in that chase is fantastic. He really, there, there are a few shots where you think, well, that can't possibly be Harrison Ford. And then it is. And then there's other shots where you realize halfway through it's not him. Uh, yeah. That whole sequence. I love seeing Indiana really Jones well. on the back of a motorcycle where someone else is driving. Like anytime you have like a big guy behind yeah. a little guy on a motorcycle, that's what I prefer. <laughs> I think his back and forth with <clears throat> Chet Hanks is terrific. I think it's a really yeah. and yeah, the it's thing a, it's that a he fun says in regards to you know Chet Hanks studies, which is like don't study that one guy. He was never in the field. You know this guy actually went out and did stuff. It's got just enough depth. That it doesn't just feel like a flippant joke. It feels like the something professor. that character would mm-hmm. actually say, especially as a professor who's addicted to putting his old scrawny ass on the line. <laughs> there is one bit. I do really like the motorcycle chase um, uh, that goes through the library. There is one thing that one change that's in the book that I really like, which is that in the in the movie, uh, at one point Mutt. 
um, uh, he 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 forces the um, uh, Russians to drive into Marcus Brody's statue. If yes, I'm remembering correctly. And in the movie, like it, it, Indy is clearly upset <laughs> about this. Yeah, and like it's completely completely valid choice to have him like upset that you just ruined the statue of my my good friend. Um, but in the in the book, there's an interesting change, which is that he he sees it more as like, oh, Marcus is still looking out for me. <laughs> you know, and I, I think it's kind of nice, you know. I also, one sort of side note in the movie, there's a clear shot of like Marcus Brody, Dean from 1939 to 1944. And I was like, would you really get a statue for five years of being Dean? <laughs> you were that Not good. to be rude, but that's a ass big yeah, ass statue. Nobody ever yeah. deaned as hard as this guy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Patrick, what you bring up is an, an interesting thing that I feel like comes up in a number of novelizations, which is that if someone is working off of a script, which James Rollins uh, seems like a really interesting guy, but didn't respond to my messages, so, you know, I have a grudge. Um, if, if he was just working off of a script, then something that will often happen is there will be like a description in the script, which is like, Indiana Jones and Mutt careen around the statue, barely missing it. The car behind them, the the banner comes off the windshield and they crash in. Marcus Brody's statue's head comes through the windshield, which is like, obviously in the script, there's not going to be an emotional assignment to it. There's not going to be a, this made Indiana Jones feel, blah, 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 blah. And so you end up with that rift, I think, because of that, where the author of the novelization goes... I know Henry Jones Jr. I know exactly how he'd respond to that. And then Steven Spielberg's yeah. like, that's his buddy. That's his buddy's <laughs> statue. He'd be pissed. I think there's a lot of really good versions of that through the book where like, not as much with Indiana, who's kind of just like a cool guy, though there's some of it. I think, let me rephrase. I was really paying attention to Mutt. And so there's a lot of times in, in the book where based on like maybe eight lines of dialogue in the movie, they're like, okay, well, Mutt is a sensitive kid, actually. And so a lot of the descriptions of, like, how he responds to certain things are, like, with sadness, with emotion. Like, he's overcome with, like, worry. Um, and I think that's throughout the book. Like, a lot of the characters have a much more, like, internal richness than we see on screen based on um, in the writing. In a way that is very good and very, like, nicely woven in. Like, sometimes we talk about how interiority in novelizations is, like, heavy-handed and, like, mm -hmm. kind of, like, shoehorned in. And then they forget about it for a while. I felt like it was so like wonderfully ingrained through action sequences and so on in this one. My favorite bit maybe of interiority, I think I have it bookmarked here, is um, do, 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 do. Marion's recounting of what it was like after Indiana Jones left her, which I know is a bit of a jump ahead, mm -hmm. but I'm just going to throw it in here. Even from here, Marion made out his shape, limbed against the firelight, a battered fedora in place. Her eyes traced his shoulders, the crook of his head in deep concentration. She remembered all the late nights. She would be in bed, and he would be at his desk, poring over a thick book or studying some bit of antiquity by candlelight. She would wait for him to come to bed, no matter how long it took. He would eventually blow out the candle, slip from his clothes, and slide under the covers beside her. She would turn and kiss him, reminding him that life was more than history, that there was also a present waiting for him, too. And she had waited, each night. But one night, he never came home. Then another. Eventually, there was nothing but an empty side of the bed. So she had stopped waiting and turned her back, 
She found a good man, a home, a family. They had married. It had been a happy time. Birthday candles, scab knees, Christmas trees, long green summers, and even longer winter nights with someone in her arms. Then a war stole that life away, too. Snuffed it out like one of those midnight burning candles, leaving her dark and empty. As she gazed at the bonfire, it ignited a bitter ember in her chest. Now he was here again after so many years. Very mixed feelings about this. I have a question. Can somebody explain to me the timeline of Indian Marian romance? Because, like, they're in Raiders, that's what, like, 34? Uh, 36? Uh, I, I think uh, Raiders uh, 37. Okay. Uh, and then uh, uh, Temple 35, is that it? Mean, Temple's I know earlier, they, so we they, can disregard it from yeah. this conversation. But then, like, by Last Crusade, they're not together. And that's, like, 39. That's, like, the brink of war in Europe, right? Yeah. And then, so they have a time together after that. I and then, And then she gets together with this guy, Colin Williams, is his name, right? Mm-hmm. And then he dies in the war. So they have, like, two years. Like, it just seems so compressed. Yeah. Seems like a... The, the timeline's so, a little bit weird in general, and we won't even get into, like, the <laughs> in, implication uh, in Raiders that, like, Marion was a young girl when, like, she and Indy got together. <laughs> but, um... I'm not, gonna, uh, I'm not gonna slander more people on this episode, but uh, if you can find a transcript, <laughs> listener, of the, of the tape where George Lucas is pitching Marion ideas it's, for Raiders. It's pretty bad. It's pretty <laughs> bad. <laughs> um, that's all I think that we can say without getting... <laughs> YouTube demonetized. <laughs> um, um, but the uh, there's also an, an oddity I find without getting too far off subject. But like the the the, the timeline is weird. I think it, you could make it work if you just sat there and said like maybe they were together for like six months and they were going to get married and they've had a, a, a an on again off again relationship for a long time um, and 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 finally. Um, Mutt was born, but there's there's since we're on the subject, I want to address this. In the book, it says that Marion in in the book at this time is in her late forties. But Karen Allen in the in the film at the time of filming was fifty seven. I think everyone's playing younger than they are. I mean, Harrison are they, was uh, close to well, yeah, I don't know, mid mid to late sixties at this point, right? Yeah. Well, I, I, I think old. I just assumed. I just assu- I think I assumed that Indiana Jones was in his sixties, and so I was just kind of like, when I read that in the book, I was like, why can't why can't Karen uh, why can't Marion just be fifty <laughs> seven? Like, it's and is that. Mutt like twenty or is he like seventeen? I I thought he was seventeen or so, uh, or well, or, or let's see, school. He, he's dropping off college, so uh, maybe nineteen. I think he was in college okay. gear before dropping out. So if yeah. so, if Indy and Marion are together from the end of Raiders to the beginning of Crusade, that's enough time to have a good sized relationship, have it taper out, and at the very very end of nineteen thirty, not nine, she's pregnant and then has a 17-year-old child in 1957. Does that work? You gotta lay a lot yeah. of pipe. You are all very um, obsessed with the numbers. I'm just like a really emotional person. I'm all <laughs> feeling. I'm with you, Andrew. I don't see why every episode has to have a math problem in it. Uh, it's... <laughs> I don't know why I care about this. I really don't. I just like want to believe that they were together for like two or three years before it stopped 
functioning instead of being like, yeah, Indy has always been a horrific boyfriend. He is undateable. Yeah. Well, he Hannah, immediately neglects you. Hannah, the thing about love is that moments can be years. <laughs> Okay, all okay. right. I'm looking I, at this. I, reason... I just want to let's put this okay, to bed. Go. First film, first film is set <laughs> in 1936. Concise. They get together at the end. They have mm -hmm. a two-year relationship during that time in which um, uh, uh, Mutt is conceived. In 1938, they're no longer together. So, like, they, uh, it was broken off by that time. <laughs> and then, 19 years later, in 1957, Mutt is 19, and he uh, and and Kingdom of the Crystal Skull begins. So. Thank you, Patrick. Okay, to to rewind five minutes. To rewind the podcast quite a bit. <laughs> the reason I read that passage is because, not because I, the math tutor, wanted to do a fucking algebra problem, but it was because I feel like it's great that they give Marion this interiority of being like, Indy leaving really messed her up. Like, that was a, that was a, dirty ass thing to do to a person and they show that in like harsh light and then i kind of also hate the passage because then at the end she's like but i kind of he's back and he look good <laughs> it is so funny to me that the moment they see each other again they're both like we're still pretty horny for each other though like you're hot yeah. i love you yeah. like undeniable <laughs> also he, he harrison doesn't sell that line because they're fighting pretty viciously and then oh, immediately yeah. he goes uh there were other women but they all had the same problem none of them were you and it's like you just hated her four seconds ago i also i mean this is johnny that's for sure um can you like as a huge fan of this series i get that marion is like the best of his love interests but do you really get the feeling that she's like the love of his life? Uh, she's sadly, the love yes. of my life. And so. I completely agree. Yeah. In terms of the three movies we saw, she is the best. And the chemistry that they have in Raiders is fantastic. I mean, they are so much fun together. She is sexy. She's funny. And they never, they have been chasing that ever since. You know, the, the other two films just can't get that. That said, I, uh, I have to agree. I don't think that, you know, she was maybe the love of his life. We as fans wanted to see them together again, but we would have been a lot happier if that time that we saw them together again was like Temple of Doom and they were still squabbling and uh, and doing that. Or, you know, they yeah, I feel like I time. need to see them develop into the love of each other's lives. Yeah, it is sort of a nostalgia play to have them get back together. It makes me think that I should make like a an, a doll's house like... <laughs> legacy sequel where they fall back in love mm. right <laughs> i mean i love watching people fall back in love it's one of my favorite you know, things comedies of remarriage are it for me but there actually was a doll's house part right, two on uh, i i'm aware of a doll's house part oh, okay. two starring laurie metcalf but <laughs> yes, okay. it's it there's no way it's about them being like actually we love each other there's no way you know, through the miracle of deep fakes, I think that we can make that happen, Andrew. <laughs> Just give me a call after this is done. I mean, as Johnny, you were sort of saying earlier that like this with the aliens and the stuff, whatever, should maybe be Indiana Jones 8, not Indiana Jones 4. If Indiana Jones 5 and 6 had Karen Allen in them and they like had a thing, but they weren't. And then by this movie, they're like, let's get married. I would like that. Yeah. I could be into it. It just feels like a, a kind of a stretch. I don't know. Yeah, I don't buy it either. And as much as I was happy that they brought Karen Allen out of 
you know, veritable retirement. Uh, it, uh, it, I mean, she, the film really does waste her and, uh, and she's good in it for as much as she's able to do, but it, it is just for the sake of nostalgia that people want to see that character again. And I don't, totally buy that relationship uh they, they, they i wish have... she was like i married this other guy and he was better than you and i don't want you back yeah yeah it, i'm good she uh she ditches the idea of uh of, of williams uh, uh pretty quick yeah i remember having the thought and i'm not sure if i am doing just the deepest cut on this okay but <laughs> but go with me because I'm, I'm hoping that somebody um um uh remembers this there was a star wars video game when i was a kid uh, CD-ROM game called Rebel Assault. Oh uh, yeah, I remember that one. Okay, so Johnny's here with me. Okay, and <laughs> uh, and you play the game, and there's like you know 15 levels or something like that, and it involves like this nameless rebel character who ends up infiltrating the 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 uh, uh, Imperials and steals the Millennium Falcon at one point that they don't call it the Millennium Falcon, and um, and he meets a woman along the way, and she's pretty and she and she and she's comes along for the ride and like they and and they go through the whole adventure and then at the very end you've saved the rebel alliance and the two look at each other and with no exposition or backstory whatsoever they kiss <laughs> and, and you and even as a kid i was just like i have no concept of like story structure or character development but this doesn't make any sense to me <laughs> and that's the way i kind of felt about like uh, as much as again i love Marion raven uh ravenwood and i love karen allen like it just there it didn't seem as though in Raiders, there was like a lot of like bickering between them, but there would be these like moments where like they would relax into like you know well, but you're you're pretty great in the end. And here, the only thing we really get is that moment when when he says that about um, oh they were ne they were never you, um, um, but that seems to be that feels like that would be the culmination um uh of an entire like b plot of not them, the uh, beginning of their not the beginning yeah. of their reuniting yeah yeah i think That's movies like, have yeah. gotten worse at romantic bickering into we love each other mm -hmm. like uh, in general i think movies have gotten worse at quiet moments where you just like sit for a second um and this movie has a couple of them that i think are good but there's few and far between in general. They're rushing through plot. And I think the Mary and Indy stuff, they just count on you being like, well, you want them together, right? So we're not going to do the work, mm -hmm. um, which is a bummer. That's really what it needed. It need, they needed one scene, and I'm maybe I'm forgetting about it, but maybe that's because that scene must have been forgettable. But there's not that <laughs> one quiet moment like that Gamora and Star-Lord have, you know, where like they're, they, they clearly have some chemistry between each other. I think it's um, supposed to be the moment where she says he's your son, but they're like on the verge of dying in a sand right. pit and they're both really like, oh my God, shut up and listen to me. So it doesn't feel like a quiet moment of like, we love each other and I want to tell you this important thing. I guess she he does admire her bold, uh, you know, decision to drive the duck boat off the cliff and you know, like, <laughs> oh wow, that, there's that spunky girl I slept with when she was 14. Um, <laughs> Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> another big difference, another big difference movie to book. In the movie, she just seems like an insane comic. <laughs> she's driving at a cliff. Everyone's like, Marion, that's a cliff. <laughs> and she's like, I will drive faster. <laughs> they're like, Marion, stop. We like living. And she's like, I feel differently. And then she goes off the cliff. She lands on the tree. It's a perfect. And she's sort of like, 
very smug about it. And you could just see from the way the movie's shot, there's no way she could have seen that tree. <laughs> there's no way. We, the audience, have more of a God's eye view than her, and we can't see the fucking tree. And so her smugness makes no sense. Whereas in the book, she does it, and then afterwards she's like, I saw that tree on the way up, made a mental note. Tree, good. Well, since we're at this point, let's briefly talk about this like jungle chase sequence because it is, I think, the weakest part of the whole film. And I think it's even weaker in the novelization in that there are so many moving parts in this chase. There's so much going on. There's these two parallel uh, trucks that are being, you know, they're carving out this jungle, these roads. Uh, You have uh, multiple like Jeeps and and people are switching from one to the other. Ox is in this one, now he's in this one. Uh, You have Shia, uh, you know, Mutt and Stelco, you know, fencing on top of the roof. And I think that Rollins actually does a Poor job. Maybe his hands are tied. Maybe it was like uh, he did the best he could. But everything is segmented into chapters. We're not getting this sort of concurrent action that you are bombarded with in the uh, in the film. In this, we get like two and a half pages of uh, Mutt and Spelko fighting, and then we get uh, another like mini you know page and a half of uh, Marion uh, you know driving the truck, and none of it really feels cohesive and uh you know it it doesn't feel cohesive in the film either but uh it really just stopped the book to a screeching halt did anyone else listen to the book no so yeah i i was really enjoying the audiobook and then i just felt like the same as you johnny when they got to the jungle i lost all interest in it it was just an hour of being like Mutt was in the truck on the left, but then he jumped to the truck on the right. The skull was still on the in the one on the left, but uh, Indiana Jones was in the one on the right. It's like the so much of that part of the book is just accounting for the whereabouts of everyone at any given moment. I mean, in the movie, it feels like it goes on forever, and I don't think that's Spielberg's best action sequence either. Um, and all the individual pieces are not as good i mean i think there's moments of like real like visceral stuff happening in the book of like people getting smashed through windows and things that like feel weighty in a way they don't in the movie but i agree it's a shit show from tip to tail in the jungle like fencing on the top of trucks should be cool and it's not cool <laughs> i think that also it just looks really bad in the movie um whereas the action at area 51 looks very like sci-fi and whatnot the fact that they're in the jungle and it feels kind of like CGI. It's, it's a set. It's, it's definitely It doesn't a set. feel like they're in actual But it's not like danger, a good fun right? set. Like that cemetery I mean, set is an yeah. awesome set. Yeah. The jungle is like two-thirds CG and it's like all the same. Like, right? It's just like trees. Yeah, we can debate uh, the sort of devolution of uh, Janusz Kaminski as a cinematographer. Uh, but, you know, he has in the last few decades become obsessed with this natural light look, which sometimes looks great. Uh, I, I think a lot of West Side Story certainly does. Uh, I think in this, especially in the jungle sequences where everything is very, very sunny and it just highlights what is fake and what is not. It highlights the CGI, it highlights the green screen stuff a lot, and it just looks ugly. Which is one reason why that cemetery set looks so good is because it's at night, it's hiding a lot of the flaws. Oh, surprise, John Goodman! Hey! Hi, John! Hey. Uh, wait, it's my, my headphones, one sec. 
Yeah. All <laughs> oh good. my gosh, what a thrill. Yeah, what's he doing here? What's going to happen? Who knows? Someday you have to let me read this other passage that I consider to be very good interiority. I, have I a, don't want to put down the bookmark on that. I have a whole idea, which is that I'm going to let John do his thing, and then we'll just continue the, the whole plot rundown with him here. Yeah, so, so. this really is a total Yay! surprise to everyone. Great. Yeah, what a treat. Hi. It's such a Bye. surprise that I wasn't entirely sure Dan Connor wasn't showing up on this podcast, because I've never been here before. <laughs> so I don't know. Mm-hmm. John, you want to get us started here? Uh, I'm here. Uh, I'm here in my apartment, uh, holding a copy of uh, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Uh, welcome to Authorized Varied Volumes, a new segment in which we discuss an alternate version of a novelization we have already covered, or in this case, are currently covering. Varied volumes are <laughs> mirthful explorations of minor characters' interiority intended to illuminate small moments with splashes of new color. In their execution, varied volumes are clunky with overwrought exposition that draws focus. Instead of achieving the intended vibrance, these pros are so overcooked as to be a tad distracting. Varied volumes are an attempt to deliver a story to younger minds with all of the shortfalls that abbreviation entails. <laughs> Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is a junior novelization written by James Lucino. It is based on the story by George Lucas and Jeff Nathanson and the screenplay by David Kep. It was published by Scholastic Books in 2008. Uh, who is James Lucino? Well... I'll tell you. Uh, James Lucino is a New York Times best-selling author, best known for his novels and reference books connected with the Star Wars franchise and the Star Wars expanded universe. Uh, Lucino's path to novelizing Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull was paved by two factors. Firstly, that he had novelized sections of the television series Robotech in the 1980s, and secondly, because he had written for the Indiana Jones television series, The Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. Got it. So I think he slipped a reference to that into this book also. That makes sense. Um, yeah. Everybody clear on what's going on right now? Yes. I, I okay, I have so many questions okay. about Go this Hannah. junior novelization. What's up? Who is it about? What's up with this, like, secondary character line that you threw in there? Is it not... No, it is about it is Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones and the Crystal Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Uh, you listeners at home, you can't see what I'm holding the book I'm holding up right now, but uh, it's got you know it has good Indiana title. as a ghostly figure and <laughs> yeah. then mutt very prominently on the motorcycle. <laughs> and then on the back, so Hannah was yeah. like hoping it's a mutt Williams. <laughs> no, I wish it was a spinoff. That'd be great. Or, um, so I on was. the back, uh, I was hoping see, that uh, it's got a picture of mutt with a with a big splashy Indiana Jones font that says "New Allies." Then we've got Kate Blanchett here with a, a a title saying "Cunning Foes," and. Uh, and then uh, here they are at discovering the lost city, and it says, uh, "And the race to the lost city." Uh, so that's what this is about, and uh, pretty fun. <laughs> Had a fun time reading it. <laughs> <laughs> so, John, what, do you want to explain what that bit in the intro was about? I will. I will. Yes. So, Overby yeah. asked me, like, "Hey, what are some what are some uh, uh, you know things I can say about it? What can I allude to?" And uh, I was saying, uh, like, you know, I mean, you guys say on this show all the time. Uh, the real highlight of this one is the little uh, pieces of new interiority we get. Uh, I, I wish there was more, but there, there's plenty, and, and we uh, when we get it, it's really fun. Um, the opening is uh, the, uh, the teens driving in their car who <laughs> roll over the gopher. Uh, did you guys get that in your novelization? Do the teens get names and stuff? John, we have so much before that. It's <laughs> <laughs> 
That's true. Um, well, I'm curious whether the names line up or or whether they are give different. I don't backstory. think the teens get names. Okay. That's the crazy thing, John. So get, what, if we can both look or if we oh, can all look your guys that is that is section. a thick book you're holding. Wow. I yeah. know. I, yeah. Although, as good, I was though. saying. As I was saying to you, John, I, I'm shocked at how long your junior novel is. Yeah, I want to say, um, I'm That's not 100% sure how junior this one is. Because um, <laughs> one thing I will say, so I've started with the positive. I don't love this book. Uh, and one thing is, it's like, um, there are parts that I think would be difficult to read for a kid. Um there's like uh, a lot of like weird vocabulary choices and stuff. There were words I didn't know. Um, and uh, just like awkward sentence structure types of things that kind of made me think like, is this actually made for kids? I don't know. Uh, and it doesn't it doesn't say, but it is published by Scholastic. So uh, and it's definitely skinnier than your guys's fat volume over there. So where does that <laughs> begin? So the beginning of this book, Hannah, do you want to describe this? We've covered it so many times already. <laughs> I know. I told John, I was like, I was like, great idea for a feature that I've had, but it's going to be so much repetition. Well, we maybe should have had John here the entire time being like, oh, in my book, it's like this. Okay, whatever. This is an experiment. I like it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Okay, so our book starts with about, I don't know, four pages set in 1546 with the Conquistador. Then, yeah, then there's a whole chapter of Indiana Jones in Mexico getting kidnapped by the Russians. Uh Uh-huh. Then we jump into the cars in Nevada. Wow. Um, Fast coverage. Love the idea of the 1547 stuff. Do you see, um, what was his name? The Gilded Man? Do you see him discovering yeah. the city? Mm-hmm. No, you see him killing his men when they attempt to leave Mexico and take That's the skull with them. That's not even true. You oh, see no. him only in the moment when he has, he has already, already killed all of his men. Okay, And it's yeah. like him recalling the terrors he had to commit. I have no idea <laughs> yeah. what happened to him and how he... I don't get what that graveyard he's buried in is or how he got there. Um, <laughs> I guess I get how he got there. It was mo- mostly just like, what is this place? But uh, yeah, okay, cool, cool. Well, this opens in the deserts of Nevada. Um, and... Uh, yeah, gives us gives us a little bit of, into the life of some some raucous teens who you know just want to like go and enjoy life, and then uh, and then you know they they have a brief sort of non encounter with some Soviet spies. Um, but most of the interiority stuff um, was uh, there. There's a lot of it's mostly Indiana Jones's perspective, um, but we get some Mutt and some from Spalco's perspective when we get like what she's thinking and stuff. And that for me is the real the real highlight. Um, there's a, a sort of running thread about her sort of like, um, you know, like she's sort of like her appraisal of Indiana Jones and like uh, she knows him by reputation and her sort of scheme to sort of use him as a tool in her plot and stuff. And uh, it's good. It's good. Good stuff. Fun character. John, can you can you read us maybe a little bit of of what's going on with the teens? In yes, first I would love to. That would be my pleasure. Um, let's see. <clears throat> um, sometimes uh, this is chapter one of Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull by James Lucino. Uh, sometimes even the long, empty stretches of Nevada's state highways could be dangerous places, especially for hapless prairie dogs. When Jimmy Quick Shift Keegan was at the wheel of his hot rod, peeling out from the gas station adjacent to the Atomic Cafe. Jimmy steered past the cafe's missile-shaped neon sign and fishtailed onto the pavement, uh, etc., etc. Fueled on the burgers and fries served up by the Atomic Cafe's skinny cook, a dollar's worth of gas in the hot rod's tank, 
just over three gallons. Thanks, James, for, for setting <laughs> us in the 50s there. Then, yeah, Tommy Shiner is his best friend. Jimmy's girlfriend is Susie. Tommy's new squeeze is Lindy. They're yakking it up, it says. Uh, it's a 32 Ford Roadster, 25 years old that summer. I forgot how much detail this has. Uh, yeah, so that's what they're I up to. I think the Roadster is mentioned in our version, and so otherwise, none of I, those details are uh, present. I am fascinated by this, that there are two concurrent written novelizations because it means that both of these authors viewed the script as objective reality and then sort of elaborated in separate directions so right. here's just a very as brief did spielberg excerpt what's that and and spielberg did that as well oh I yeah guess, right uh, yeah totally but here's like a, a very brief peek into chapter two of indiana jones in the kingdom of the crystal skull by james rollins uh-huh it starts with, the desert killed the unwary. Oh. One learned that lesson early or not at all. Sergeant- a related concept to John's version, I want to say. Yes, yeah. but this is, is where it gets, this is where it gets nuts. Sergeant Jimmy Wycroft ground the scorpion <laughs> under his boot heel. It squashed with a satisfying crunch. On Wycroft's left, Corporal Higgins had a, held a pair of binoculars fixed to his face and called out, color commentary as if you were were reporting on the Kentucky Derby. So this author decided to assign interiority to the guards who will be murdered. Are they right? So they're about to be murdered. What? Yeah. Right. One (laughs) thing was agreed upon. This is about Jimmy. (laughs) I feel like they're both going for like, okay, we're in America. It's the fifties. What what's a guy's name? Jimmy. That's a guy's name. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, um, fuck. Wow, <laughs> John, do you want to just sort of jump on with us as we continue sure. our plot summary? Yeah, and give us that be little great. Bit of... And I've got I've got some some passages and stuff. I'll yeah, I'll, I'll sprinkle in as we well, so as we go. That's a good place to start. We're like up to um, the jungle almost. Okay, so great. That's where what, I feel like this one really there... kicked into gear. So great to great, great to hear. Fascinating. Great. Yeah, we're basically like at the so, ants, which. I, I I really like the, the Hannah's theory that uh, that yeah it's aliens has made everything bigger because uh, I don't know some people oh. some people thought that the ants were like maybe a little much uh, I I don't know I just like insects eating people so I was sort of all for it you know mm-hmm. <laughs> oh Hannah I meant to say when they're in the the not quicksand yeah and you said that Mutt makes the comment about, oh, I just saw a giant blah, blah, blah. And you're like, what's the deal with everything being giant? He says, I saw a giant ant. Oh, hey. And Indiana Jones is like, that doesn't sound plausible. Mm. Soon to be proved wrong, of course. That's a thing where we like, when we talked about like, okay, Indiana Jones, you've seen the Ark of the Covenant melt a guy's face off, but you don't believe in giant ants? Yeah. That's where I'd say like, come on, man. Like, you know. Well, you know, actually, I will say there is, I had this thought earlier, um, there is precedent for Indiana Jones just not learning that lesson, because (laughs) Temple of Doom is a prequel to Raiders of the Lost Ark. And in Raiders of the Lost Ark, he's talk, talking to Marcus Brody, and he's like, come on, you don't, you know I don't believe in any of this uh, wishy-washy uh, mumbo-jumbo. <laughs> Good point, yeah. And then yeah. he throws the gun out and get his heart ripped out. For a man of beating. learning, yeah. he does not learn very much. That is true. Um, there's a bit of interiority in this, in my version, where um, 
he says, he's saying to, to Irina Spalko, like, oh, you're crazy. This, there's no such thing as psychic powers. And then he says, ah, but actually, that was all bluster. He, Indy knew that, that such things sometimes did exist. And I thought that was kind of an interesting change. Whoa. Yeah. That is interesting. And I'm a- I liked our version and I enjoyed reading it, but I think oh, I need to cover. read your version too. And I think you might like it. Yeah, it's it's good. It's got some good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first time I've ever actually recommended a novelization that I read for this show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the the real mark, John, is when are you going to recommend a novelization you read for the show to someone not involved? In <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that your version where he uh, gives credit to the idea of like telepathy or whatever is less in keeping with this Indiana Jones from the movie though who's like aliens no (laughs) (laughs) absolutely not so anyway that we were just saying before you came on John that the um sequence in the jungle uh, I'm a big Indiana Jones for defender it seems like there's at least some positive thoughts that we all have about the movie but the sequence in the jungle really just grinds things to an absolute halt. The chase stuff or what? What? Yeah. 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 On the page, especially, it was like, oh, and now, and then they do this and then they do this. It was just like, it becomes like all action, very little, you know, it, it becomes very apparent that the thing was meant to be a film. Yeah. No, totally agree, actually. When I say this is where it picks up, I mean more like that Marion is in the picture. Everyone's on the same team. Uh, they're meeting Oxley and his madman routine. Like that, that, that stuff is great. But then, yeah, all the chase scene stuff is like, I wish I was watching this movie. <laughs> the monkey stuff. How do we feel about the monkey stuff? It didn't bother me this time. I kind of love it. I kind of liked it in the yeah. book. I like don't... in the book, there's a part where Mutt's kind of like, he gets hooked up into the trees and he's watching the monkeys and he's like, I- Okay, I could do that, I guess. It's not quite as, like, Tarzan silly as it looks in the movie. But also in the movie this time around, I was like, it's like 10 seconds. It's so short. Who cares? Uh, I always had a weird uh, thought. or I I was always so weirded out by the idea that people were so offended by it and, and just thought it was so implausible. And that just makes me think like the concept of someone swinging on a vine through the jungle has existed for almost as long as the film itself. Uh, I, you know, <laughs> going back to Johnny Weissmuller and even before then, I, I don't understand why this concept of someone swinging on a vine uh, is, is so, so foreign to them, but I, I think it's great. And honestly, Indy swings on his whip like there three times in this movie. If you're yeah. mad about mm-hmm. swinging, that's not <laughs> I fair. They, I guess they don't like that the monkeys join in and it's like, hey, yay, we're monkey friends. We're all doing it together. But like, I want to swing with I mean, monkey friends. I love his friends. monkey yeah. friends, but um, I, I mean, I do like in the book, like the monkeys start it and then that's like, I can do that. And then the, he happens to be swinging with monkeys. So <laughs> coincidentally, I, I think what the kind of like, to me, what I read it as was like a, a kind of strange attempt to kind of shoehorn in uh, look, he's like his dad, <laughs> you know, that he's, he, oh, he can swing on the vines just like his dad swings with his whip. And it, it I, I wouldn't say that I hated it. I didn't really work for me. Um, I, I, I thought it was an odd choice for the line. I wrote down this line um, that ends this chapter, which is, with this strange band of brothers, very Shakespearean, um, with this strange <laughs> band of brothers mutt-headed after the fleeing jeeps. He, 
which I, which I, I found, I, I found just, just, just oddly, um, oddly romantic for this moment. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think you're right, Patrick, about it. It's like, oh, this is to make, this is to, to allude to in, him being like Indy. And I, I kind of like that, like his sword fighting, that's kind of his version of the, like the bullwhip. He's got his own like weird weapon he uses. I love when he's like, Fencing with with Spalco, that's great. I I think yeah, you you don't need you don't need to have him also uh, have swinging related skills. Um, you know, it doesn't bother me too much. I think you could probably lose it though. I like that he should have his own funny skills. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, yeah. I dig I dig that reading of his sword fighting a lot. That's nice for him. Frank, this coming from Hannah, you know, uh, fucking Jason Voorhees should never have a rifle. <laughs> She's like. Give give Mutt his Neither. own weapons. I Ooh. I like that Mutt is not just Indiana Jones too. I like that Mutt is his own character with his own yes. stuff going on. So like if they were like Mutt also uses a bullwhip, I'd be like boo lame. I don't want that. So the fact that he has like he's like I use swords sometimes. I have like my little switchblade that I'm scared to use. Like. I love those things. These are this is totally different than I don't think Jason should use a gun. <laughs> These are different concepts. <laughs> the three Completely. of you don't deconstruct my straw man. The three, <laughs> you, the three of you who read uh the Indiana Jones book that I read, if I said that there was one thing in the jungle chase that I found abhorrent, would you know what it was? Is it when Mutt looks at Spalco's boobs? Yes. What? <laughs> I hated that. I couldn't find the line. I was looking for it before oh, we I just recording. saw it. But he basically, Mutt is like either sparring. Did you find it, Johnny? Uh, no, I just remember the, the line was, he is a man after all. Uh, and this, in the audiobook, this narrator, Jesus Christ. So anyway, the, for the listener... Mutt and Spalco are like sparring with the swords or or, or fighting with their fists. They're in some uh, aspect of their fight, and Mutt basically loses the the stage of the fight that they're in because her shirt tears, and he looks at her chest, and the narrator goes, "You know, he would lost his footing and and was defeated, but could you blame him? He was a guy <laughs> after all." This is coupled, so like that moment in the book is abhorrent. I agree, it's terrible. It's coupled with the moment in the movie where Mutt is like stretched between two jeeps and keeps getting hit yeah. in the crotch. Yeah, mm. awful, terrible, unacceptable, Stephen, unacceptable. So I bad. really wondered if that, if the, if uh, her little chest bursting moment was in the movie, and I just forgot it. I, I as I read that, I was like, there's no way, there's no way that like her, you know boobs pop out of her top that's another- <laughs> so so was the, the i think i feel like this oh pairs well with this this passage uh, uh this is spalco talking to uh mud you fight like all young men she called to him eager to begin quick to finish a true master knows the pleasure of the long game mud glared over at her <laughs> we're still talking about sword fighting right oh yeah yeah i I mean, I give this, I give it, they have these like unpleasant innuendos. Then there's a part where Spalco says to him, like, I could use you. And he's like, as if sister, pretty much. And then like punches her in the face. Like, I do appreciate that there's never a point where someone's like, I can't hit Spalco. She's a woman. Mm-hmm. Like they just fucking punch her whenever they can. <laughs> Real so maybe in the grand vibes, scheme, yeah. <laughs> it balances out. I don't know. All right, if we're in the jungle, does that mean that we're past 
the part where they are in the cemetery fighting the skull people. Yes, yeah. we leapfrog okay. that pretty heavy. Want to go been, back? I love that sequence. I've you been sitting on this I for over an sequence. hour. <laughs> I think, just speaking of the movie, I've been holding my tongue, which is hard to believe because I can't shut up. But on this one topic, I've been holding my tongue for an hour and a half, which is... I think the delivery of part-time on the part of Harrison Ford is good. <laughs> <laughs> and I have an argument to back it up. So, I look, as a youth, I was mean-spirited. I liked to see the downfall of others. And so, in 2008, when Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull came out, I didn't see it, but I did watch YouTube videos mocking all of its flaws. And one of them was that, you know, here in the trailer, he says part-time and it sounds cool and then in the movie he goes part-time and it doesn't sound cool and Wait, i was what's like the, what's <laughs> that in response to you're oh, a teacher uh, he's just done a it, bunch of cool action stuff and yeah. goes you're a teacher got it part-time right. I do remember that. okay so yeah, yeah. here's the thing i don't know if i'm going to be able to explain this aptly but like at the time i was like ha 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 that's so bad i'm a better person than steven spielberg but <laughs> now having watched the movie the inflection makes a lot of sense. You're a teacher, part-time. It's like, yeah, I'm a part-time teacher. I don't know. It'd be weird if he said it like a declarative own, you know? It feels like it's some kind of joke, even though it is technically just a fact. And I want him to deliver it kind of like a joke, like a See, wink, part-time. And instead he's like, <laughs> yeah, part-time, whatever, move on. <laughs> you I, know? Think, I think that he is being modest, because like being... <laughs> A teacher is part of him, and being an adventurer is part of him. And Mutt goes, "You're a teacher," and he's like, eh, "Part time, I'm a teacher." I, I I think it's in keeping with his character that he just kind of throws it away. Uh, yeah, I'm a defender. <laughs> I like the concept behind the line. I think the delivery isn't as strong as it could be. <laughs> Patrick, do you want to revisit a topic we talked about 90 minutes ago? <laughs> um, oh my I, god! So I um. My, my if I if I were directing the scene, I think that like my direction would be is that uh, rather than be, him being modest, um, uh, it's more about um, I'm more than just a teacher, <laughs> you know. I'm I'm mm. I'm you know I'm I'm worldly. You keep calling me old man. Like I I have a, I have a life, <laughs> you know. Oh, you're a teacher. <laughs> yeah. Part time, <laughs> you know. And I feel like I got... Yeah, the other part of the time, I blow darts back into Indiana people's mouths and I whip them. And I hope that the back of the darts poisonous too. I really just kind of bet a lot yeah, on I, that. I murder people part-time as well. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's particularly <laughs> brutal. It's what happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's kind so of So I, th I think that's why I like the earlier rendition uh, in, the, in the trailer um, better than the film version. Hmm. That's a brutal one, especially because um, I'm going to find Jones somebody who agrees with the bad me. guy in that scene. Uh, this guy's just trying to. <laughs> I'm going to shop this around <laughs> yeah. until I find somebody that fucking backs me up. Yeah. Look, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a book reader here, you know, so uh, lion delivery. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. No opinion. You have seen this film. I have. Yeah. No, I do. I, yes. I don't. Okay. I don't remember that, whether or not I liked Harrison Ford's delivery of the line part time, though, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> One more thing about part-time. 
So in the book, it's, it's the end of the chapter, mm. and there's nothing to say how it could be delivered. Like the author of our book just totally sidesteps the question of what does Indiana Jones mean by part time. It just it's just like a button on the chapter, and then he moves on. And good for James Rollins. That's probably a smart choice. Yeah, I think that I think that putting any more sauce on it would really neuter it. <laughs> Part-time, he said, meaning, like, mostly I'm an adventurer, though. <laughs> yeah. Um, here's a line from the Lucino version. Um, Some teacher, Mutt said in awe. Well, I am, Indy said, part of the time. So, changes. Thanks, Lucino, what the fuck? <laughs> really making that a different yeah. moment That's completely. Like he loves adding words to things. He's so wordy. Oh, my God. <laughs> I've got to read that. I'm obsessed. <laughs> I think somewhere, I think between the cemetery and the jungle, we skipped like huge amounts of stuff. Yeah, go ahead. We should go. very quickly go over that. So like they're at the cemetery. They get kidnapped by the Russians again, who take them to a camp and Marion is there and Oxley is there, but he's cuckoo nuts. So now can I, yes. can, they can, make... I, can I just stop here a moment just because I just, I just <laughs> highlight one thing. It's going to be a six hour episode. I love <laughs> that it. I think is the, honestly, I, I think this is my favorite line in the movie and it's one of my favorite lines in, uh, for some reason in cinema history, which is that um, uh, Indiana Jones is trying to break Oxley out of his trance and he rattles off, you know, uh, their history together that we went to the University of Chicago together and we studied this and we did that and you were never this interesting. Such yeah. a great <laughs> it's a fantastic line. It doesn't deserve um, uh, to, to, um, to be yeah. that good, but it is. I'm sorry. Continue. I agree. No, I Oxley haven't watched Rocks, the. We love him. <laughs> I, I haven't watched the version of Raiders that's the normal version and not the Steven Soderbergh one that only has the Social Network soundtrack in a while. <laughs> um, so, what is the line about where they're saying that Oxley knew a Ravenwood? Is 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 Raven? Is Abner. Oh, they're going to kill Abner's little girl. Yeah. yeah. I don't remember much about this. So he's That's a how Indy knows Marion, is that he, Abner, her father, was a professor at, I guess, University like of Chicago. Like his mentor. And was yeah. a mentor oh. to him. Dads were like the OG <laughs> dating apps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't look up that transcript, guys. It's bad. <laughs> it's, yeah, don't it's look. It's really bad. Goodman, just, just to fill you in, there is a, a transcript of George Lucas pitching ideas for... Uh, uh, Harrison Ford and Marion's romance in Raiders, and um, it's dicey. Yeah, the original draft of Raiders has a lot of stuff that they wisely cut. Uh, but, There's yeah, some line everything. about her being, her having been like a child when they first knew each other. Am mm -hmm. I remembering that right? Is it in that? that about along the lines uh -huh. of what I'm talking about. Yes. And <laughs> he's in the original draft. He's sleeping with his students too at at the university. Uh-huh. There, there's a uh, when he's packing his bags for uh for the uh you know to, to, to go to get the ark and he throws the gun in the suitcase, he's talking to Marcus. There's two wine glasses there. And that's because uh uh you know the I love you with on the uh, eyelashes, she's there in the house in the original script. Oh my I have to say, coming out of Temple of Doom, where Indy is like a mercenary, horny, like bad person for most of that movie. <laughs> For him to still be a horny, not great person at the beginning of Raiders, I buy it. Yeah. I buy it. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just, I'm just gonna, in my head canon, believe that Lawrence Kasdan like heard this pitch from George Lucas and was like, 
uh, and Steven Spielberg was like, I'm going to work this into the first draft, and then I'm just going to slowly inch yes. away. <laughs> like now Great ideas, glasses. guys. Great ideas. Yeah. Oh, it didn't make it into the movie. What a bummer. <laughs> okay, continuing on with the crystal skull. Um, so they make Indiana look into the eyes of the skull, mm-hmm. and it makes him uncomfortable, <laughs> but not crazy. <laughs> I shouldn't be looking at stuff like this. <laughs> I don't like it. Belongs in a museum. <laughs> then I think that's somewhere in there. Mac is like, I'm a good guy, actually, but we all know in our heart of hearts, he simply is not. Then at one point, Mutt breaks them all out, and they run through the jungle and fall into a pit. And we learn that Mutt is Indy's son, and then they use a snake to get out, and that's pretty stupid. And then I, Ox... I like the snake personally. I, I'm just. I don't understand the snake. That. Why would you okay. grab a snake? Thank you. Yes, obviously, agree. Um, but I love the line. I think it's so such a good highlight of his character when uh, Mud is like, "Oh no, quicksand!" And Indy is like, uh, "Technically, it's actually a, it's a dry sand pit. Uh, quicksand <laughs> isn't as dangerous." He just he goes straight into Professor Mud. I do like that too. Yeah, I like that too. I like that too. I also like it. Like they have escaped. They're running through the jungle. Indy's like, Oxley, go get help, help, help us, help us. And Oxley's like, you got it, and goes to get the Russians. And they immediately end up exactly where they left from. There is no point to them escaping except for Marion and Indy to have a moment alone. Yeah, Yeah, to get get the sun plot point out, right? (laughs) Yeah. But the thing that's good about the Oxley thing, though, is that if they hadn't solved the Indy in sinking pit thing, the Russians would have helped him. It actually is good like oxley done good i don't want any oxley slander here no no i think it's very interesting that like oxley is cuckoo banana pants but also like just cognizant enough to be helpful Mm -hmm. when it matters like Mm -hmm. in a way that's confusing to everyone else but it clearly makes sense to him that's like a little spice that i like in this sort of he's more helpful and then i think it's legitimately offensive that he Rude. Uninsane. Well, I, I'm just saying that, like, huh. when Mutt punches the, you know, uh, whoever, and they say, and says run, and then they run into the jungle, it's like, what's your plan? What are you doing next? Where are you going? Yeah. You don't know where you are. You're you're probably, uh, you know, hundreds of miles away from anything, and uh, you know, which is kind of hot headed, right? like yeah, father, like true. son. But yeah, that's true. Okay, well, now like, I would like, like a true married couple. Like he blames his mother, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do think it's so funny. They have that little like dual dialogue bit where early on, Indy's like, "Don't worry about going back to school. Follow mm-hmm. your heart." And then the moment he's like, "That's my kid. Why didn't you make him finish school?" Like he's son of a that bitch. Exchange. Be I there for your fantastic. kid. Yeah, it's it's one of the best <laughs> jokes. Really it's probably the best joke in the the whole screenplay. It's really. It's good. also great because like a professor probably is pro people not pursuing higher education because he's like. I hate having kids in my class who are just there to be there. All they want to do is mm-hmm. sleep with me. Ugh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, this is the moment where I get to read my passage of interiority that I think is good. This is the whole reason I went back. Great. <laughs> so, Andrew, the passage you read, I think, is a good, like, invented moment that, like, gives us some good interiority and is, like, Thank you. I think you, I think you bring a lot to the podcast, too. <laughs> Thank you. This moment, I think, is like interiority in the midst of things that happen within the movie. We're just getting a little added richness. And I just want to contrast those two things. I think they're both throughout the book and they're both good. Mm -hmm. So this is like, at some point, they're with the Russians. They're sitting around the fire and Mutt goes to talk to Oxley, trying to reach out to him. 
And he says, he stared into Ox's face. This couldn't be the same man. The one who had taught him how to ride a bike, who had helped him pick out his prom tux, who had listened to him late in the night when he couldn't deal with his mother. He'd been like a second father. Mutt reached out and tried to hold the professor's shaking hand, but Oxley just jerked it out of his grip. Mutt leaned forward, trying to make eye contact. Ox? The man's red-rimmed eyes stared up into nowhere, seemingly blind to the boy whom he had helped raise. Come on, Ox, Mutt begged. Look at me, man. <laughs> Mutt had lost one father to a war. He couldn't lose another. But there was no response, no recognition, nothing. Mutt wiped his eyes. Please, Ox, I need you, man. I, I love you. Mutt had never said that to Oxley, the man who had filled the void in his home and heart after his father died. Wasn't love supposed to heal all? Oxley continued to stare into the firelight. Apparently not. I think that's good, man. It's like a good like blend of like, here's what's happening in the scene. I think it's reflective of Shia's performance in the moment in the movie. And it just like gives you all this like, mm, it's good. It's good writing. I'm in favor. I just wanted to share it, and I've been waiting for like a fucking hour, wow. so I was going to shoehorn it in. I want to read this book. <laughs> it's a pretty good book, John. <laughs> Hannah, you've really made me appreciate that Shia LaBeouf is like living the experience of this character. You can see in his performance that he has this deep relationship to Oxley, and he has this really vitriolic response to indiana jones being his father that isn't just knee jerk it's just like i have a very confused relationship to the idea of a father figure mm -hmm. how dare you suggest i have a third one you know? <laughs> he has to be like i had a good dad who died in the war i had a good dad who now is crazy and now you're showing up and saying you're my fucking dad you're i got pulling... plenty of dads and, and you you're suck. the one pulling real dad on me Come on. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and you're not a good dad yeah john you but... were um you were saying that the uh, pros in your book in regards to action were maybe suboptimal, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So what's going on in the in the ant fight in the jungle? To answer your, your question, uh, would, would this be a moment where we could maybe read, like, the exact same moment, perhaps uh, what to me was the most memorable part of the movie, which is um, Antonin Dovchenko being disgustingly killed by ants. Um, all right, John. So take us take us down the the road of this terrible demise. I'll take you down the ant hill, uh, which I love this moment. To be clear, it's it's great. Uh, just like shocking horror moment out of nowhere. Um, so um, <laughs> Indy thought he would never get his wind back. When at last he staggered up to his feet, he saw Dovchenko charging straight at him. Whether Indy ducked at that moment or his wobbly legs refused to straighten, the result was the same. His head and right shoulder slammed into Dovchenko's midsection, and momentum carried the Russian through a front flip that landed him on his back in the center of the river of ants. Thrilled to encounter the feast that had fallen into their midst, the ants immediately began to invade Dovchenko's mouth, ears, and nostrils, then to create entrances of their own by burrowing into his flesh. Dovchenko bellowed in a way Indy had never heard, and his last look of the Russian was a sight he would never forget. What had yet to be devoured was being moved horizontally to the ground by a writhing mass of ants, keen on carrying Dovchenko into their nest, where they could make a full meal out of him. So, good moment. I think that's nastier than our Oh, yeah, we get a real yeah, dumb show. Chino dude is a freak. We get... <laughs> I, I can't yeah. find it exactly, but I just remember... When someone is taken into the... Okay, it. you know. You, you know the line. Anna's ready to go. It's also slightly longer, so heads up. With a roar, Dovchenko charged like a bull. Indy was ready this time. He had enough of the Russian colonel. He faced the bull, waited, then ducked under Dovchenko's long arms. As the giant struck, Indy flipped the Russian over his shoulder, letting his opponent's mass and momentum carry him up and over. 
Now it was Dovchenko's turn to land on his back in the middle of the river of ants. Dovchenko jerked up onto his elbows, but in a matter of seconds, the ants completely swarmed him. He screamed one piercing note, and then his voice was cut off as ants flooded into his mouth, streamed up his nostrils, and dug into his ears. (laughs) He crashed backwards, writhing, consumed under the mass, thrashing in silent agony. His body began to slide across the ground. At first, Indy thought the Russian was crawling and was amazed at his fortitude. Then he noted that the body seemed to be floating a couple of inches off the ground. His large mass headed for the ant hill, carried aloft by the sea of ants. Apparently, the dinner bell had been rung. On tonight's menu, Russian. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's yeah. fun. I love novelizations. <laughs> yeah. In some ways, they are sort of like remarkably similar, but it feels like mm-hmm. you're James, John Lucino. Oh, yours is a James Almost too? might have. It is James a James. Rollins, yeah. yeah. Um, it almost feels like maybe he like read this version and then was like, yeah, I'm going to take some of that, but not most of it. I wonder. Like there's just like certain things. But right? this, your version is better though. Like, I think this is a good example. I, I think because so like this, this moment where it's like, um, where your your the Roland's version is Dovchenko charges like a bull. Indy flips him over and uses his own, own momentum to throw him into the river Vance. And the, the Lucino version is, um, whether Indy ducked, oh, Dovchenko was charging straight at him. Whether Indy ducked at that moment or his wobbly legs refused to straighten, the result was the same. His head and right shoulder slammed into my ju- And I'm like, well, no, but what happened? Just tell me what happened, you know? Um, is there's your a lot book of that really kind of obsessed with how old Indy is? Oh, really? <laughs> um, yours, like, yours is? is it? Um, no, mine I mean, ours is, but like th- that sort of description of being like, well, I can't get on my feet feels like a book that's like, he's too old to be doing this stuff. And we gotta remind mm-hmm. you all the time. There's not not too much of that. Um, hmm. Actually, no. Yeah, he's pretty much he's pretty much action hero in for the most part. But it's more just there's a lot of that kind of thing where it's like you just like you're just saying this in the least clear, straightforward way that you could. You know? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I do wonder if he was a little bit trying to pad it out, but he didn't didn't succeed at that. Comparing these two books, so I don't know. John, they can't have a book at a scholastic fair that when kids pick it up is like the man was old and frail near the end of his time. And then they, and then these like fucking elementary school kids are like, he's my grandpa's age. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. It is weird how gruesome that was though, John, that passage yeah, was, yeah. considering that it was a scholastic publication. Yeah. yeah I mean, that's what I'm saying. There's, there's this other part where um the, he drinks vodka thinking it's water. Do you, do you have that moment? Um, and it's like, no, oh, I don't yeah. think so. One of the Russians as we a friend. read the wrong book. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, here, I, I just gave John one of those Indiana Jones spin-off novels, and I was like, <laughs> "This is the book we're doing." <laughs> um, no, listen to this. Um, Indy was in desperate need of a drink, something to dribble down his parched throat and slake his thirst. Um, oh wait, sorry, sorry. Um, here, skipping ahead. A hand pressed a glass of clear liquid to his dehydrated lips, and he swallowed a couple of sips. The astringency. Sorry. The astringency of the liquid causing him to cough and nearly choke. Um, his eyes found the bottle from which it had come. The Cyrillic lettering of the label. And it's like, what are you talking about? What does astringency mean? Why are you being so unclear about what this is? Spalco drinks <laughs> some word. vodka on the next page, so it's not like he's afraid to have drinking. Uh, anyway, yeah. Uh, that's funny, though. He invented that moment? Weird. I mean, I don't remember it. Maybe it's in this 400-page no, novel. I mean, we have four people that read this book. I don't think any of us seem to remember that. 
Um, so yeah, uh, generally it doesn't it doesn't feel to me. I'm not reading it being like, oh, this is really for kids. There's you know, people have ants crawling up their nose and eating them. People are drinking astringent liquids. <laughs> Patrick, can I ask you with your uh, experience as as a as a director of film? What's your take on like how Spielberg's doing here? Because I feel like none of us are gonna disagree with Spielberg being one of the all-time greats, having some of the best bricks in his wall of any director that's ever lived, but he's not incapable of folly. So <laughs> how do you think the craft is here, and how do you think it stacks up to other Spielberg? So for the for, for, for the rest of everybody else here, uh, what Andrew just said is, like, we're not going to say that Steven is bad, doing a bad job, but why don't you go ahead and say it? I love this movie. I love this movie. Do not, do not um, get me wrong. So, so, so here's the thing. Um, Spielberg is a uh, fantastic action director in terms of um, uh, you know um, he he understands. For what I understand, he's actually kind of improvisational in terms of like how he gets on a set. He'll come in and rather than having everything storyboarded out, uh, unless it's something that's super complicated, he'll come in and be like, all right, so we're going to grab this shot and we're going to swing around here and we're going to do this. And he's famous for these oneers that are amazing. Mm -hmm. And that must come with having a lot of money to be able to like sit there and, and put that together so quickly. Uh, but also it's just his, his innate talent. Um, I think where this is this is getting difficult is I think they're trying to hit certain beats and they've got a lot they've got to get through throughout this entire chase through the jungle. I mm-hmm. think that the I think that the ant bit is actually the best bit of the jungle. Mm-hmm. Um and mostly because it reminds me the most of like Indiana Jones has always had those kind of, you know, um action sequences where people punch and you and get creative and how they're going to um, uh, fix, get out of certain situations. And so this idea of like, Oh, I'll use the skull to get the ants to go around me. Um, and, you know, I'll jump on the tree and climb up it. Well, build the, the ants are going to build a little, um, um, uh, you know, um, their own little structure in order to get to me. Um, this is all very Indiana Jones and being punctuated with essentially a horror gore moment. Yeah. Um, is uh is is classic spielberg i just think that the a lot of the aspects of the actual chase um uh on the jeeps and the trucks is where things kind of get out of hand um and uh you know if if you were in that kind of like uh, pre-production um, mode somebody should have stood up and been like we don't need all this bit like this of uh you know of, of, of muck getting hit in the crotch and we don't need the <laughs> bit of of him swinging through the uh um uh, the trees um and also can't, you know marianne can't see that tree um <laughs> yeah which, which by the way that that boat that that car boat is a it's car called boat. a duck a duck <laughs> apparently the duck is able to, she could have just driven off the cliff and landed in the water and we would have been fine. But like, there's this whole aspect, yeah, there's, there's gotta be this whole aspect if we gotta, uh, gotta have it land on a CGI tree. Um, that just But the tree kinda... swinging back up to own those dudes is <laughs> That is good stuff. That's true. <laughs> that I mean, it, it is, 
too much business, yeah. right? Yeah, like you just kind of want to get to point A to point B. And in comparison to like the tank chase in Crusades, which is basically getting to point A to point B, but sometimes he has to punch a guy and he's like falling off the edge of the tank. That's like all the complication you need is like how hard him. it is to be on top of a tank. And the thing is that it's just him. Yeah, I mean, like, a lot of characters who all I mean, need something to do during a chase, but they I mean, don't. I guess, they can just sit in the jeep. I guess it's Crusade. Is uh, now I'm thinking about it. You've got two uh, plots going on there. You've got you've got him, and then you've got what's happening inside the tank with Marcus and um, um, Henry Jones Senior. Um, but uh, uh, but it's still, it's just two things, and we kind of let, and we kind of spe- we don't intercut as much. And here you've got, you know, you've got everything with uh, Marion driving and, and, and then Spalco and then uh, Mutt. And so, like, there's too many threads going on mm-hmm. throughout all of it. Too much. Totally. You know, totally. but then they leave the jungle and enter the lost city of gold. It's numbing. Oh. The jungle's numbing. I, I think a lot of the trouble with the back half of the movie, too, is, like, Indy and Mutt have these adventures where they go into ruins. And then... The whole ensemble has this adventure where they go into ruins, and that feels a little repetitive. When the climax feels like the same sort of setting that we already saw halfway through the movie. But it is the setting that we most enjoy seeing Indiana Jones in. And I feel like, you know, I like the initial ruins, uh, but like you really want a temple full of booby traps to happen at least once during yes. your movie. And like, it doesn't really deliver that until the end. Uh, you know, you, you get little hints of it early on, but. Johnny, I had a couple questions for you. First off is, I think you were the one who originally brought up the jungle being kind of sucky. And did the novelization get you back? Cause I, I, I agree that that was the worst part of the book by far. Um, uh, y- yes, I well, yeah, I, I did think that the uh, the sort of big climax with the alien was pretty well told, considering it's something that is somewhat vague in the film itself, where you you know you watch it and then at the end say like, so what exactly happened there? What are the rules of you put the skull on it and then what they they you know it starts the ship up again? I, I actually think the description right. of that is pretty good. Uh, and yeah, uh, as we established, I think that the first hour of this movie is pretty fantastic all around. Uh, it struggles for about 40 minutes uh, there with all the jungle stuff, but I do think that it uh, comes together for me uh, for that big climax. I, I like once they get, you know, down to, you know, the waterfalls, I think the rest of it is pretty solid. Mm-hmm. I really like, again, that the Russians are just like, okay, you got us here. You solved the puzzle. We're here to take the glory. Oh no, we're all being sucked into space. Flash that on fire from the inside out. Like, just a bunch of people who didn't do any of the work, yep, don't yep, deserve any of the glory, the rules. try to take it, and are punished for it. Mm-hmm. That's good Indiana Jones stuff in my book. I think the reason why this the climax doesn't really work for me is that, in terms of the aliens aspect, is that I'm not really understanding exactly why the aliens decide to kill everybody. You know, like, yeah. like uh, if if anything, like you know, the, I they did you a favor. Like you should be, and 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 I'm sure that like, if I if I had to pull something, um, if I had to try and figure it out in my in my own head, I imagine that they're, they're omni- omniscient and they can understand. They they know that 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 the Spalko woman is a bad woman. That the Russians are bad, and so I should just kill them and let the the the. Uh, 
Americans escape. Um, but the uh, I, I, Hannah, I think you know. I think you know the answer to this. Well, I have a concept, and it's really based in the novelization, which I think does this so well that like Spalk, the the aliens are like, we're going to give you a prize for helping us, and Spalko mm-hmm. says, I want to know everything, and the aliens go, okay. You're welcome to that. Here you go. And they give her the knowledge of everything and it's too much for her and it kills her. And I think that the rest of her Russians don't know enough to leave. They're following her. So they also experience the same thing. And Mac gets dragged up into it because he's too greedy to let go. And like the the classic Indiana Jones thing is like he looks at this situation and he's like, I don't want all that. I don't want to know. I see that that's too much for my human brain. I don't want the glory of God's grail. I don't want the knowledge of the universe. I just want to go home with my girlfriend and my kid and be fine. And that's his great strength. And like the miracle of him is that he knows when to say like, I'm happy with what I have. I don't want more. And Spelko does and she gets it and it's too much for her and it kills her. And the novelization is even more explicit with the, uh, uh, the homage that Spielberg seems to be doing with Spelko and her eyes uh, in the film, which is to uh, X, the man with X-ray eyes, the Ray Milland uh, film. And uh, this, the, I don't think the film has it, but the book does, where after her eyes are burned out, she screams, I can still see, which is the last line of uh, X, the man with X-ray eyes. So that delighted yeah. me to huh. no end. And she like basically comes out of her body, like, intellectually and sees her own corpse and then like is sails up into space or whatever with the aliens so like and and then there's the part where when mac gets sucked in he's like off to a new adventure i I don't know what it is i want to read this it's it's my favorite part of the book so which i think um, is cool i liked it first off my notes in my notes i had um uh, irena spalko's death as a bad highlander moment (laughs) because she she gets that moment where she where the highlander's like I know all, but then her eyes burn up and it's like, all right, we're good for a second. Um, all right, the entirety of chapter 58, I'm going to read. It's a one paragraph long. Um, this is when the vortex is sucking everyone up at the end. Fed by nether forces at the edges of the universe and nourished by the energy of vibrating atoms, the vortex grows. It swells outward along elliptical planes that shatter dimensions. It consumes all matter in its path. Deep in its heart, dark energies and dark matter churn, preparing for what must come. But before that can happen, it needs to grow much stronger. And to do that, Ellipsis, it needs to feed. Look, Whoa, the it's vortex a little that easy, but it's a, it, it's a flare. Yeah, yeah. Rollins has decided that it's like a sentient vortex, which is kind of interesting. That's really crazy. Given unexpected interiority. I want to read this little piece where Mac gets sucked up in this yes my favorite part of the book and john do you do you have an analog for max death in yours yeah i mean mac gets sucked into the vortex in mine uh the only thing for for me as he's getting getting sucked in indy is like get rid of the metal get rid of like the things you stole the treasures and it's i was a little confused is it is it the magnetism thing again is it because then i would say that is like a nice um drinking from the false grail and turning into a skeleton moment if it's like ah you were you were your own greed was what what doomed you i i don't think it's what yeah, it's, it's magnetism okay great oh great okay i like that um i wish it was a little clearer but i got the point so <laughs> yeah he gets sucked up he dies what do you guys got Hannah, you want to you want to <laughs> hit us with that that portion of our book 
Sure. So basically, like, Indy, like, hooks him with the whip, and then Mac's like, no, it's not gonna work. I refuse to give up all my gold. <laughs> um, so he, like, wiggles himself free and is unhooked. Mac, Mac flew down the hall. He saw Indy unburdened now fall back safe. Good luck, my old friend. With nothing else to do, Mac turned away and faced the darkness and the unknown. Despite his doom, a small grin formed on his lips. He had pockets filled with gold and the great unknown ahead of him. Let's see where this goes. Exclamation point. <laughs> yeah, exclamation point. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. beautiful. I love that. I, I want to see I want to see five more Mutt books and in Indiana Jones nine, Mutt Williams six. Um <laughs> I want I want fucking Ray Winstone Mac to come back as some vortex being and and like be in these uh-huh. stories again. I I like, I, I got abducted by villain. aliens for five years, but I'm back. Yeah, <laughs> I have I have Crystal Skull now. I have one. <laughs> yeah, there's no way that Mac isn't in the space between spaces with his alien buddies, teaching them how to make alcohol and like having great times with all of them. Like that is just that's canon. You do get the feeling that Spalco is dead like she took on too much yes. and she died but he's gonna go ride an alien spaceship yeah. like he's about to have a cool yeah. adventure so the, the or, thing is, go ahead he's sorry this is very quick or he <laughs> just has a beautiful moment where he is about to be obliterated and he in his heart of hearts is just like the adventure is about to begin and he's wrong but he dies with that thought which is cool or because heaven is real, because the Christian God is real, he's about to go have some other kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. Well, oh so my. is Shiva, though. Yeah. So maybe he's getting reincarnated. Who knows? Fair point. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Well, I actually kind of wished and imagined that Spelko didn't die. That, like, I think that a better ending for her is she either uh, does get sucked up into space, but no longer wants to go there because of all she knows. Or, you know, maybe she even gets spat out. Uh, she has. She is now the most intelligent person alive, but uh, she's blind. She has no eyes, and she is just doomed to wander around the jungle, insane as Ox was, but like in a less cute, dancey sort of way. That would be cool. Yeah, I do I mean, think I, there is a moment in the movie where the alien with its skin back looks at her right before yeah. it gives her like all the he's, knowledge, he's and the look on its face is like ew, like, <laughs> which yeah. makes me think that they're like. No, we're gonna kill you. I, yeah, you know good. I remember that look too. There's something in that like visual moment. It seems like the alien is like, like, ha, gotcha. Like, it's a little. That <laughs> made me, that was part of why I do kind of agree that it's it's a little vague what what happens to her and why because it that I yeah. do really remember there being a moment where the alien is like, I'm killing you on purpose. See, um, you have been judged and found wanting, right. and so I'm gonna burn your fucking eyes out. Yeah, and yeah. you know she she's bad news. So who can argue? <laughs> In terms of uh, Mac's death, in my head, and I think it's maybe because like I actively watched the movie before I read the book, and then I watched the movie after I read the book, and watching it, like I have it, the image in my head of all of this destruction around him, and so when reading the book, and it says, "Let's let's go on to the new adventure, Indy," <laughs> I'm I'm gonna be. <laughs> I'm like, no, you're not. You're gonna die, and it's gonna hurt. It's gonna hurt. The movie feels much more decisive than he's yeah. about to die for sure. I agree. I need a post-credit sequence of Mac in hell. He's talking to the devil. The devil's like, "You're here because of one million sins you committed," and Mac is like, "No, I was a double agent for you, bro." Uh, those were genuine sins. Don't you remember Berlin? <laughs> Berlin. 
<laughs> I mean, I do hope Indiana Jones 8 is Indy Goes to Hell. <laughs> like, that was, like the only right thing, you know? <laughs> get Jason out of hell, get Indiana Jones in hell. Um, Johnny, uh, one question. Since you have a hardcover edition of this novelization, is there a any like uh, physical frills to it? Because the paperback that I have has... Just no nothing of it. You guys didn't no get glossies? Pictures, no nothing. I got glossies. No you got pictures? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, no pictures. I only have the hardcover because somehow uh, it was the cheapest copy I could find. So it's like, oh, okay, score. Uh, it, it does have some imperfections in there. That's why, I guess. My big lament with um, with the book, I mean, you know, the, the glossy photos in the middle of the book are always nice. But what... I wish that this book had for all of us is uh, since it's an Indiana Jones book, uh, I wanted to feel like something that Indiana Jones would read or write, you know, including maybe maps uh-huh. and sketches and like, you know, yeah. little maybe notes yeah. in the uh, margin. And I really thought that we would get something like that. Like, uh, you know, a little uh, like the uh, the Grail Diary. Something I like wanted that. a map so that badly with the dotted line that shows you where he goes. I yeah. that is such a missed opportunity. Yeah. It's so good in the movie when they do the flying sequence with the dotted mm-hmm. line and they change planes and they go from like a big plane to a little uh-huh. plane to an even littler plane. <laughs> I love the dotted good line stuff. sequences. <laughs> so good. So here's here's the glossies from John's junior novelization. We've got this first page, pretty good, pretty nice photo. And so everyone knows the the font really like the the picture the font that the word Indiana Jones is written on in the poster is is it says yes. is the captions yeah. of these so it's like big splashy the hero the villain it's fun right it's Indiana Jones word art yeah. um, <laughs> the chase with them going through the the town square and the the what anti Soviet Union uh, protest little gloves are really what make protest. it you know like that's. Uh, I love the motorcycle chase chase in uh, Connecticut. I think that's a great scene. This one. Oh, the captions at the bottom. The stakes with a picture <gasps> of Mutt and Marion. Uh, that's your family, bro? Sort of um, reductive to just label her character as the stakes, but okay. <laughs> I agree. Also, like the 15-minute period when Mutt kind of has a mustache, <laughs> <laughs> which then kind of goes away. <laughs> Uh, the fight. This is them doing the uh, the fencing between vehicles. Um, mm-hmm. in, in factually a dynamic photo, but I don't know, kind of one of the least beautiful. <laughs> Just a real close up <gasps> on, the, on the skull with the words "the prize." Ooh. And then finally, the adventure, and it's just the hat and the whip. On top of a, a oh, box saying property. That's Dr. the back Jones. of our book. Oh, oh yeah. look at that. Yeah. How nice. That's nice. The adventure is back. Those are nice oh, pictures. Nice. Yeah, that that I, I really felt like oh the adventure is back. There's a little mm. is back at the bottom. Um how nice. The other thing I wanted to show you guys, and I'm not actually doing an entire other segment, so don't worry. But <laughs> I do have another varied volume. Um our our Varied volume correspondent this time is Andrew Overby. Um, I did read <laughs> the graphic novel of Indiana Jones and Ugh, the Crystal Skull. This looks great. Oh. Of which I've uploaded some photos because I, I find it to be really beautiful. But Tell me you got the ants. It's, uh, I don't think I have the ants. Nah. Let's look at what I've got. So I'm, This is like novel. part of the chase in the jungle. Just really, really cool. fun illustration. These are kind of out of order. This is Spalko's death. 
Ooh, I like that. Oh. Yeah, looks pretty incredible. Um, a, a funny thing about this graphic novel is because it needs to accomplish the whole two-hour movie in, like, 50 pages, it's so abridged as to be basically nonsensical. <laughs> so there's, like, a page where Indiana Jones is on the train and Mutt rolls up, and he's like, you know Oxley? And he's like, yeah, I know Oxley. And then they're like in a diner and he's like, those guys are creepy. And then they punch a guy. And you're like, what the <laughs> fuck is going on? It's like one page from train to, you know, uh, racing through the town, avoiding those dudes. <laughs> um, this is the uh, the experimental train at Area 51. Oh, cool. good for whoosh. Yeah. That's yeah, cool. it's... it's it, and these, these uh, captions, these sort of comic book style captions are very funny. Uh, in times, uh, what's this one say? Whatever. Anyway, they're cool. This is him getting out of the fridge and looking back at the mushroom cloud. Nice. Um, oh, yeah, the, the, and the, the mushroom cloud looks like a skull. Was that mentioned in your guys' novelization? Oh, Ooh, I didn't even notice that. Yeah. John, James oh. Lucino makes challenge. the mushroom cloud look like a skull, <laughs> and I really dig it. I really like that choice. That's yeah, cool. That is, that is really cool. Um, this is uh, illustrated by Fabio Laguna, by the way. I, I highly recommend that listeners check out. A pretty out. good grasp of Harrison Ford's face. <laughs> Not a perfect grasp of anybody else's. Yeah, this Oxley <laughs> is is real off. Um, I mean, like, Ray Winstone is just like a lump with a mustache, <laughs> as far as I have seen. The one thing in this book that made me... Also, it does not look like Shia LaBeouf at all. No. No. The the He's one thing got that a Tom Cruise quality to him in that bottom photo or <laughs> picture there. The one thing in here that made me really like lose my shit was um when he's talking to the dean. The dean says uh the dean says Oh, I wish you had met someone like my wife, you know, she you know, I wish you had someone like her, which Dear is crap. a line from the movie. But then in the graphic novel, he goes or maybe you already have met her. And it's like, his wife? <laughs> While we're talking about pictures, I want to discuss the picture of James Rollins yes! in the back of our book. James Rollins! Where he looks like Roy Scheider in Jaws. Uh, yes, he does at that. And yeah. is very like, I'm a handsome guy. I write books, whatever. Uh, I, I, was a veter- I was in veterinary school, but I decided to write instead. <laughs> Yeah, no big deal. <laughs> An amateur spelunker and a certified scuba enthusiast, he can be found either underground or underwater. <laughs> what a what a guy! <laughs> Do, should we wrap up with this wedding? Should we discuss the wedding yes. really fast? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, they get married. It's nice. Mutt is there. Then he tries to put on the hat, and Indy says, "Not today, kid." And this rolls perfectly into something we promised to talk about earlier, which it's is true. how the heck is Indiana Jones 5 going to be anything but the most depressing dirge ever put on film? <laughs> I mean, this movie is already struggling. Crystal Skull is struggling with the fact that almost nobody came back. They got Karen Allen, which is awesome, and she's great. And the rest of the movie is like, remember Mac? Mac was super important. You're like, I didn't know. I've never seen him before. We've never uh, met him before. Remember Oxley? Oxley was great. And it's only saved by the fact that the Oxley performance is pretty great. But now they end a movie with Indiana Jones marrying who we're told is the love of his life. And he has this wonderful relationship with a son that he's discovered. And we're going to do another movie without either of them. And seemingly without Harold Oxley. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I hate it. I don't want it. Was the goal, do you think, for Indiana Jones to five to be Mutt Williams and the? Do you think that was the idea? Okay, that was the goal when they made. Yeah, when they made this, it was. I don't think that's been the plan I mean, for a while now. As but, we briefly uh, discussed, Steven Spielberg and Shia LaBeouf had an insane falling out when Shia said blockbuster movies are not worth anyone's time. So he's not in the movie, period. I don't think they're going to recast that character. That's not a Steven Spielberg move. I have also heard some rumors that it is going to be, I mean, and this is pretty unsubstantiated, but... Uh, uh, they, they come from a, a fairly reliable source uh, that may, perhaps this is going to be tonally different from all of the others that if anything it's going to be a little more like an episode of the young Indiana Jones Chronicles and that you are going to have Harrison Ford uh, well Indy uh, uh, reminiscing about several little adventures that maybe have a bit of a through line, but maybe are just kind of like mini episodes. And this might be like sort of a backdoor pilot for a Disney plus series or something. I, With I, like I really a younger hope. actor. So they're just trying to no, add not, in not a, a younger actor. Indiana Jones actor. Uh, sadly, I think uh, digital de-aging will be the solution. <gasps> oh no. That no. You are going to see Indy in, in all sorts of ages, all played by Harrison This Ford. is a huge mistake. That's this is terrible. a terrible mistake. Give me old-ass Harrison Ford breaking his hip and shit. That's what I want. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I want old-ass Harrison Ford. And honestly, I want Mutt Williams being like, Dad, stop. Go home. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, here's the thing. I am the like I'm the guy that every anytime there's like a a sequel coming out that everyone's like, ah, oh, it's not going to be good. It's not. It's going to ruin the franchise. I'm like, no, no, no. It's going to be great. <laughs> like like this. This look. <laughs> you know, this is going to be fantastic. Including Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Um, but the thing is, um, so I can't. I'm 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 always that guy, and I don't have like I'm I'm always that guy. So. Anytime you any movie that you can think of that was a sequel that you loved, I said it. That was gonna be great. Also, every movie that you hated, I said it was gonna be great. Um, and now I'm the guy. I'm gonna tell you guys right now. It, this is gonna be great. I love her. <laughs> like, be great. Like, you got James. You got James Mangold who directed every dad's favorite movie for V Ferrari. He's good. Um, He's good at movies. And 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 Indiana Jones is also your dad's favorite action hero so like it makes sense you uh, in in the terms of the cast we got Phoebe Waller-Bridge we got Mads Mikkelsen we got Toby Jones we got Antonio cool. Banderas like we're filling it out with more people that are uh, that you know nothing against Ray Winstone <laughs> but like he's not this Antonio feels like Banderas. the sort of thing where like <laughs> um, Aliens 3 is a perfectly good movie but unfortunately, it does not feature the two characters I desperately wanted to be in Aliens 3. So I think if Indiana Jones mm. 5 opens and they're like, boy, it's so sad that Marion died, huh? Yeah, and now Mutt's not talking to me. They're not in the movie. Moving on. <laughs> I'll be like, oh, sad. I know. Like, okay, the rest of the movie's good or whatever, but sad. It's really, That's all. I, I, hate, I hate that reset feeling with sequels. Um, a, a serious question. If... Indiana was the dog's name, and then and then Mutt basically named himself Dog. This is exactly the thing. Oh Will my god! Mutt's thank you. Son be called Mammal. <laughs> You're saying it has no, to Mutt's get less. Like, zooming dog. out is the game. 
I actually think that Mutt's son would go by yeah. Henry. He'd be like, my name is Henry. <laughs> he would circle back around. I, but this is, it just occurred to me when I was reading this book that like Mutt is a joke on We Named the Dog Indiana. It's a dog name. They're yeah. both fucking dogs. I love yeah, it. I, I, I love it. I think if I was in the, if I was in the writer's room, I think I would p- pitch something like he, it's, he'd be a small child and we'd call him Spot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's cute. That is you know, cute. We, sell, we sell some toys of Spot. Yeah. That is cute. I mean. New Grogu. I also do like when he's like, Mutt, what kind of my name is Mutt? And he's like, I picked it. You got a problem with that? <laughs> like, it's just such a funny, like, I'm a tough 50s greaser and I picked my own name and my name is Mutt. Oops, I'm a dog like my dad. Shoot. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's adorable. It's also thematically it's relevant because I'm not totally sure of my parentage. <laughs> <laughs> John Goodman. Yeah. You are... <laughs> ferrying a valuable book out of a tomb in which you discovered it. You suddenly feel the book calling to you to return it to the place from which you found it. When you tell your men this, they say, hey, that's a really valuable book. You can stay here if you want, but we're taking it. That book is Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull by James Lucino. Are you willing to murder all of your men to defend this book. Great. Well, that's a really inventive, totally original scenario you just conjured, because it certainly wasn't in any book that I've read recently. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, No, I don't think I would uh, would recommend uh, James Lucino's Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Again, I had fun reading it. I have pretty, uh, I'm easy to satisfy though. And it's a fun adventure, a fun story. I think if you're either going to do that or you're going to read, you're going to watch the movie or you're going to maybe read this other novelization, I would say do one of those other things instead. It's probably a better, a better look into it. Uh, the, The writing style doesn't totally do it for me. There is some fun stuff. Like I was saying that I like um, his treatment of the Spalco character, I think is really fun uh, and getting to see sort of like her opinion on, on Indy. Um, and uh, there's some fun added stuff. Um, a little thing, Indiana Jones, uh, he sees the Ark of the Covenant in area 51, kind of a little, little oh, yes. interesting change. Does yours Weave do that too? that as well. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm. So there's little, little stuff like that. Uh, yeah. I don't know if, uh, did you guys, dislike or like that chain oh we uh, we decided that it wasn't great just yeah. because it makes more sense for the audience to just see it and be like oh cool yeah no i agree whereas him seeing it is like that that it's, it's a little too weird um but yeah so uh, but there there are good examples of that too in this like there's stuff where it's like um <laughs> while they're traveling to South America, it mentions like, and uh, while they were in Mexico City, you know, they they killed some time. They went to see Teotihuacan. They uh, they did some like, it's like, oh, they did tourist stuff. That's fun. Oh. Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's um, really fun. Yeah, so little things like that are nice. And the interiority, as always, is, is very welcome. But on the whole, probably not. Uh, unless you are a crazed completionist like any of the people on this podcast. So that is to say, <laughs> I recommend it to you all. <laughs> Hannah Blackman. Do the next one. Okay. Uh, Patrick, you are a Russian scientist researching, uh, you know, like mental powers and supernatural stuff around the globe. And you have heard legend of an infamous 
book situation that maybe is the key to all of your research <laughs> and you decide to go <laughs> hunt it down in the the depths of deepest peru not the same deepest peru that paddington is from of course a different part of peru and when you find the book, you have the option to read it and gain all of... I'm losing the thread here. This is not going to work at all. I think this all. is going great. <laughs> you can read the book and gain all of the universe's knowledge or go home to your loved ones. A, which one do you do? And B, if that book was Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, do you think you would read it just anyway? I got there. Yeah, no, it's flawless. <laughs> So, so, so I'm gathering that this this bit is. Do you recommend yes. the book? Yes. <laughs> okay. You'd be so reductive. Was it not clear from the scenario <laughs> that I spun? Um, uh, I would read it. Um, so, so uh, I, the, the short answer is yes. Like I would, I would recommend. It. I think that it. Um, uh, I think it depends on your outlook of the movie. Um, uh, because if you are somebody who is kind of in a stance that I think a lot of us are in, which is that like the, like the, the movie's like, you know, not nearly as bad as we remember it being. Um, I think that the book expands on it in a way that is good. Um, that, uh, um, that is, uh, makes it better. Um, I think if you hate the movie, this book is not going to change your mind. <laughs> and I think it will be a miserable experience for you. <laughs> but, you're, but you're also wrong about the movie, so, you know, take that for what it is. Johnny Pomato, you are hurtling towards a cliff in a vehicle that can drive on both land and water. The water below you is so far down as to be a fatal fall. But between you... And the water far below, there is a copy of Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull by James Rollins. Would you trust this book to softly <laughs> deposit you into the river below before swinging back up to murder Russia? No, because I have the hardcover. And oh, oh wait, okay, no, I'm taking the metaphor. Too hard. <laughs> It'd be better for killing, though. That's true. That's true. Um, I. Uh, I really enjoyed revisiting this, and I do think that the book has some very nice flourishes that uh, enhance the film, and I wish there were more of them. Uh, I wish it had, uh, like I said, like a, um, uh, like a, uh, uh, like, you know, a, a playful, like, you know, map and, and, and notes and stuff like that. Uh, but... It is awfully comprehensive of the film. It, there, there's very little added... Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, so I'm a little mixed in the middle. I think it's solid. I think it is an above average novelization that, uh, basically completes and, um, uh, uh, you know, retells the film very well without it being maybe essential. Andrew Overby. Hi, Anna. You're a part-time teacher, part-time adventurer. You have just discovered that you have an adult son who you want to build a relationship with. And you know that he's like a little difficult to reach out to, but he's a reader. He reads books. He's a he's a smart kid. And you want to give him a book to help connect to him emotionally, give you two something to talk about, you know, build something together. Would you give him Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull? That was a better scenario. I did it. I enjoyed the experience of reading this book, but given its length, 
It was not as interesting and did not have as many frills as I would have liked. At the beginning of the book, when we were getting the backstory about how Indiana Jones was kidnapped and the backstory about what happened with the Crystal Skull in the past, I was like, here we go. Buckle up. This is going to rule. Then as the book goes on, those frills sort of fell off and it became more workmanlike. And I think ultimately it was not worth the commitment of reading like 400 pages or in my case, listening to like nine and a half hours of an audiobook. So I'm not going to recommend this one, even though I enjoyed it. Hannah Blackman. <coughs> yes. You know everything <laughs> and you see all. As you die, your eyes are burned out of your skull, but you can still see. Would you direct your eye sockets, empty, completely barren, and aflame, towards yeah. the book Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull by James Rollins? Um, I think as everyone has said, the book is good. It's well written. It has rich additions to it. It could be richer. It could have more, but it's pretty solid. And as novelizations go, it's quite strong. Um, I, I will never read it again, but I would read six Mutt Williams books. <laughs> so that on that factor alone, like Patrick was saying, if you like the movie, I think this is a fun addition. It does add just enough that I had a good time reading it and having not seen the movie in like 10 years upon reading this book, it was like, oh, yeah, this is fun. I'm having a good time. Um, so I'd recommend it to a select segment of humanity, probably not everyone. And perhaps in my dying moments, it's not what I would really want to look at. I want to look at a picture of Shia LaBeouf with his little two-soled curly hair. I mean, like after he's wet, so the grease is out of it. And then it's just, it's starting to dry. It's a little blonde on top. Mwah, so cute. Um, I'd rather direct my last moment of vision onto that boy. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, a, it's I recommend it more or less. Yeah. I would like to read a book that is like George McHale in the Multiverse of Madness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Patrick Bellix, you are a filmmaker. People must, I mean, they must see your films. I've seen one. <laughs> I enjoyed it immensely. I saw your film, The Single Line Theory, what, maybe four months ago? And uh, it was really terrific. Is that one available? And if not, where? what's out there? Uh, you know, you can find... Uh, I have some stuff on YouTube. Um, I have a YouTube channel called The Lone Filmmaker where I um, I, I try and make films um, uh, by myself um, and uh, uh, to varying results. Um, and you maintain and that that's, that's totally by choice. Yeah. <laughs> 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 on occasion yeah um um uh no matter what no matter what my crew says about me um so uh, uh the single line theory actually will be on vimeo and probably uh some other um uh outlet uh within the next month or so uh because it's ending its festival run and uh i'm shooting a new film in about two weeks um that will hopefully be making the festival circuit called reservations um, uh, beyond that, you can follow me on Instagram and all the other socials to, to find out more about what's going on film wise. Amazing. And we will put those, uh, handles in the, uh, in the post. So listeners definitely check it out. John Goodman, you've plugged on here before. Why don't you just go ahead and do it again? Well, you got again. Anybody listen to Terminator 2 episode of Authorized recently? If you liked the, 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 the beautiful, rich voice of Dan Kwan Peoples, uh, you should listen to uh, his and my podcast, Exit Interview. Uh, 
we do funny little uh, little comedy radio plays. Uh, they're they're a good time about uh, a podcast hosted by God and the Devil. So check that out wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for spending three hours with us, Patrick. And John, thank you for spending an hour and a half with us. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, I much did, appreciated. I, re- I really didn't intend for this one to be this long, but we had stuff. We had so much to say. <laughs> to our listeners. Uh, th- thanks for tuning in, I guess. Uh, and I think finally after, what, this is going to be like episode 22 or our 22nd novelization. I think I finally figured out how to end the show. Um, so here we go. You want to know how I did it? This is how I did it, Anton. I never saved anything for the interdimensional flying saucer ride back. Good night. Hannah, I don't understand. Why the legend about the city of gold? Well, the Uga word for gold translates as treasure. But their treasure wasn't gold. It was knowledge. Knowledge was their treasure. I couldn't do it. I got close. It's really the repetition of knowledge that kneecaps the phrase. (laughs) I mean, it kneecapped me. It's really hard to to pull off. All right. right, somebody, Somebody feed it to me. I'm ready. Andrew. I don't understand why the legend about the city of gold. Patrick, I'm so tired of explaining this to you. (laughs) Well, for one, the Yuga word for gold translates as treasure, but their treasure wasn't gold. It was knowledge. Knowledge was their treasure. So condescending. Here's the thing. He had to do a little bit of a rewrite. (laughs) At the the beginning, he had had to add some motivation of like, you motherfucker. <laughs> like, <laughs> every time we come, oh, we walk into this room. Johnny Pomato, I've been meaning to ask you, why the legend about the city of gold? Well, the Uga word for gold translates as treasure, but their treasure wasn't gold. It was knowledge. Knowledge was their treasure. <laughs> I will say, for as ridiculed as this line has been over the years, and etched in my memory as just a reluctantly unpleasant line reading from Harrison Ford, watching it again the other <laughs> night, I thought, that wasn't as bad as I remembered it being. It was a little better. It's okay. But Patrick, huh? I don't understand, you know, why the legend about the city of gold, though. Well, the Uga word for gold translates as treasure. <laughs> But their treasure wasn't gold. It was knowledge. Knowledge was their treasure. I just I decided to do like a Casey Kasem like spin on it. You know, that's that's the way to get around this stuff, <laughs> just to add character flair. <laughs> I like that spin on it too. Well, much like um, Indiana Jones at the beginning of this movie, Casey Kasem was um, kidnapped. So <laughs> I don't understand why the legend about the city of gold. Well, the Yuga word for gold translates as treasure, but their treasure wasn't gold, it was knowledge. Knowledge was their treasure.
Good use of the pause. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I really, really like the delivery of their, but their treasure wasn't gold. That was, I thought, very, yeah, very, yeah. A that, different take than any of us had. That was really good. That felt lived, John. 